This is the MLW Radio Network. Time to start your day the right way with fun row material. Starring ECW legend Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whitbrook. Now, let's welcome your host, Mike Freak. Welcome to a very special edition of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I uh, soon will be joined by my broadcast partner, The Rit, Josh Ritter. He is the host and the czar of the Cult of Beardo. We're very excited to be coming to you this week. Um, Originally, we were going to have C.W. Anderson on the program on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, things happened and uh, we had to reschedule. But we have him on the show with us tonight. In fact, you guys are in store for one great interview with an ECW legend. He's going to take us all throughout his wrestling career, talk about ECW, the things that happened when he was there as well, and what's happening in his life today. So we could not be more excited to have him on the program. So let me go ahead and let me first bring in the dapper man, the man who's got uh, got all the swag. That's Josh Ritter, a.k.a. The Rit. How you doing, buddy? Ooh, what's going on, man? How you doing? Freeland, unmute your mic. Unmute your mic. Is that better now? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even believe that. How can uh, that happen? Fre- We're about Freeland. to have a star come Freeland. on here. I can't even get it right. Freeland, I yeah. give you the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. For 10 minutes. Well, what does that say about you, though? What does that say about you? You have way too much confidence in me. Well, maybe. But I just got done running a successful hour-long show. No, I come over here... And it's freaking clusterfuckville. Well, I tell you what, let, let's go ahead and let's change that. Let's go ahead and let's bring on a man, the enforcer, Mr. C.W. Anderson. Thank you so much for rearranging your schedule for us and, and coming on here. We know that things have, had been a little uh, crazy last minute things, but uh, you look good. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, yeah, I feel good. You know, I'm, I apologize for last night. My fiance showed up. She's, she came home sick, so it was definitely taking care of her pampering her and taking care of hers she kind of she comes first absolutely family always yeah. comes first my friend absolutely, so yeah. w- with that being said before we kind of get into things how have you been during the whole <clears throat> crazy pandemic situation how has that been treating you guys well um the past six months or so have been fantastic um last summer when everything kind of the pandemic kind of started like getting in full effect and i did the whole retirement and all that BS because I was in a very, very dark place in my life. Um, that was probably the worst part of my life I'd ever been to where, excuse me one second. Uh, okay. Sorry. Where, um, I had, um, you know, not a lot of people had known this at the time, but I don't really, I don't feel bad about talking about it now because I'm not there. It's like, you know, the night I sent that retirement video out, I'll try killing myself uh, or attempted to kill myself. And uh, luckily that was forwarded. And ever since then, it's been a growing process, been a learning process. And uh, I'm actually in a fantastic place right now. Brittany and I have a a great relationship. I'm back wrestling again. Thank God that I was able to unretire and come back. It was, you know, retiring was the worst mistake of my life and did it for something and somebody that wasn't, that didn't deserve the time of day. But um, now things are changing. Man, I'm in a really good place. You know, I, I turned 50 over the summer. I mean, over the winter, uh, got engaged to Brittany. So life is pretty good right now. 
Well, it's it's so good to hear that you uh, you turned that corner because that's that's got to be tough, my friend. Um, you know, and I don't want to get too too private or anything like that, but there's struggles. There, I mean, it happens yeah. to everybody. And um, I think the biggest thing is that you. It sounds like you got an incredible relationship, and that's what uh, definitely helped you get through that. Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell people this that. I have like I had like twenty some thousand messages that weekend. I retired uh, fans, whether it was Twitter, Instagram, personal messages, text messages, things like that, for thanking me for such a great career, uh, this, that, and other. And there was like one person uh, that reached out to me that said, "Hey, you look like you need to talk. You're like you're going through something." And it was the pastor of a church I started attending after that, and got to talking to him, and he got my life on track and give my life over to God and. You know, it seems like once I started doing that and started being positive and stopped living in a negative light, everything started making a making a turnaround. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. So once you step away from things, it was good. I got away from wrestling for a little while because I could see the forest for the trees and realize what I was missing, realize what was important, what was not important, and realize that, you know, George South told me a few days after I retired, he's like, CW, you need to come back because wrestling needs you. The boys need you. He said, he said, hell, I even need you. He didn't say hell because George don't cuss, but he said, I even need you. But that was one of my bigger decisions of coming back was just I missed the wrestling business, and I wanted to leave the wrestling business better than what I found it. Man, CW, uh, here on uh, Front Row Material, Freeland, myself, Mikey, Jerry, there's one thing that we all have in common. Behind every great man, there's a great woman. And, man, it, it just seems like – when you're down, you gotta have that. You gotta have that someone else there. Yeah. Pick pick you right back up, and and yeah. you know, Freeland and I we talk you on the regular, and man, anytime like, for instance, Freeland uh, didn't answer the phone call earlier. You know, he's having dinner with his wife. Completely understand. Family always comes first. You know, yes. what we do is come second, and you know, it's just. It's, it's, it's a special relationship we have here. Yeah. Brittany, Brittany's definitely my rock. Uh, she's helped me through some hard times, and she's helped me grow. And, you know, I saw a, a post one time that to get closer to her, I had to chase God harder because that's how close she was. And I came from a relationship of negative uh, darkness. Um, you know, even a friend of mine, I don't know if you guys know what Lizard Lick Towing is. It was a TV show, Ronnie yes. Shirley and those guys. Okay. So Ronnie Shirley is a good friend of mine and I saw him not too long ago and my ex-wife is his realtor. And he told me not only, well, not only was she an evil woman, but what he knew, he said, but when I was with her, he said, you were a dark person. He said, because she's dark. He said, you were a dark person and hard to be around. He said, well, once you got away from her and you got in the, got with Brittany, it's like I'm turning around 180 degrees. You know, my own family at one time didn't want nothing to do with me. That's how bad I had gotten. And her, you know, like you said, you got to have that good woman, that strong woman that supports you. And, and she loves wrestling because she's my valet. Um, so she supports me with wrestling. And she wanted me to come back because she knows this is what I love. And I love making people happy. I love entertaining people. So, uh, you know, having her in my corner literally is, is something that I'm blessed with every day. Let me ask you this. Do you also think that with a profession like wrestling and it's it's very unique if you compare it to anything else, any other pro sport, there's an off season and, you know, you're not going every single night. 
Do you feel like in some ways wrestlers do need to every so often kind of step back and, and almost kind of have an off season for themselves, not necessarily just to heal their body, but maybe to get their head straight and to invest some of that time and be more in touch with themselves? 100%. It, it goes back to that seeing the forest for the trees, like I said. And, you know, my, my ex, for example, I tried to tell her, I said, she didn't understand what it was like to be me or, you know, any wrestler, because we had, it's kind of an addiction. It's kind of what we do. We're a different breed. You know, we, it's something you can't understand what it is to be us to some extent. Do I get, do, am I like some people? Do I get off on people knowing me and be, being famous and stuff like to famous as you can say, no, I don't. I'm not like some of the guys that I know that love when people recognize them or sit around and wait for people to recognize them. That's not me. When somebody recognizes me at Walmart, that's fantastic. Hey, I appreciate that you were such a fan. But I liked when over the summer and for months, I just got away from social media. I got away from everything. Just so, you know, one of the reasons when I retired that night that I had such a hard time grasping was for 27 years, now 28, I've been C.W. Anderson. I didn't know who the hell Chris Wright was. How was I going to be Chris Wright? Because I don't know who he is. And that was a hard thing for me to accept. And I think that's why a lot of wrestlers commit suicide because you're in that limelight. People always recognize who you are. And then you get to a point where, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and you have to be a normal person. And it's really hard being normal unless you're grounded. But you're 100% right. You have to get away from this business and get your roots and grow your roots again so you can, you know, be grounded and have reality. Because if you don't, one day, man, like I said, when it was over, when I thought it was over me, I thought it was over because I didn't have that concept of being a real person again, being normal. So, but you're, yeah, definitely getting away from this business for a few months is not a bad thing. And getting off social media. Social media is, is a dark place, man. I, I, so one of my buddies said, this is the reason they call it not Facebook, they call it fake book because mm -hmm. everybody on there is living, thinks they're living this lavish lifestyle. And they're more miserable than anybody else. And they want to see you just as miserable as, as they are. So you have to get off social media. It's a very dark place. I completely hear what, what you're saying because it's so interesting now when we, when we look back and we start to get to know more of the personalities um, of people that we've seen on TV over the years. Um, I, I guess the first name that comes to mind would be Ric Flair. Um, and the big difference is, being able to be the person and not the character. Right. And like you said before, if you, and people don't get it when you've spent your entire life creating a brand and creating this, this persona. And then all of a sudden you don't have to do it. I can see where a lot of people, if they don't have that structure, um, that accountability group around mm -hmm. them that, yeah, once, once people start referring to you as your, as your birth name and, there isn't a whole lot of people around that are um, wanting to see you. I, I think that can be a mind screw and um, it, it can be very difficult to then trans transition back into, hey, this is the most important person that I am is the person that was born. This was a chapter right. in my life. This is something I do, but it doesn't define who I am. That's when, when my mother, she didn't want me to come back because of one of all the 23 concussions and just the injuries and things like that I've had. But her biggest thing was, she said, I don't want you getting back to what you were before you quit. She said, because I don't like CW. And my, even my therapist, I was in therapy for two years up until last month with everything that had been going on. And my therapist would tell me, she said, I can tell when you're Chris and I can tell when you're CW. She says, CW protects Chris. 
Yes. And that was a, he was a completely different person. My mom and my, my whole family, they didn't like CW. They love Chris now because Chris is around most of the time, but CW is a complete asshole. Well, before you were CW, you were always Chris. Back in 1989, I'm a big baseball fan. You got drafted by the San Diego Padres as a catcher. Yeah. So, well, you know, baseball, was that always a passion for you when you were younger? Or? Baseball is my first love, 100%. So, I, so, I love it. So you got drafted and decided to go to college. You know, well, what made you uh, change your mind? You know, because most people mm-hmm. nowadays would say, I'm drafted. Let's sit there and, and take, you know, take that step. You know, I'm going to be famous soon. You know, it's, it, it's a, it was a different process. Uh, it was different in 1989 because they're not offering the lavish contracts that they were. You know, this is before the Latin explosion of catchers came through. At the time, there was Tony Pena and there's the guy that's my idol that I have a tattoo on my leg of, Benito Santiago. Yes. Uh, and I got compared to him because I didn't have to stand up to throw it to second base. I could, because I was a catcher, I was 175 pounds. I could sit on one knee and throw it about four feet off the ground at 90 miles an hour to second base. Um, that was my gift. So when they offered me, they found me at an all-star game. They actually come and scouted the pitcher and I was throwing it to second base on my knees harder than my pitcher was throwing it off the mound. So that's where they found me. And, um, they offered me, they were going to offer me $22,000 a year to sign and a $2,000 signing bonus. As you can tell, that's nothing of what these guys get nowadays. Um, Cause I remember Ryan Sandberg signing a $5 million contract one year and it was outrageous that he was getting $5 million. Yeah, that's a, that was a long time ago, but again, growing up in the, the household I was, I grew up in, my mom's a very headstrong, very controlling, very persuasive person. And she told me, you need to go to college. The pros will always be there. She just kept drilling that into my head. And I'd never been anywhere, never done anything. Hadn't hardly been outside the county I lived in. So I listened to her and turned it down. Hindsight being 2020, I should have went to the pros because, you know, they drafted a guy named Brad Osmus uh, um, around the same time. And uh, I'm better than he was because I was – now he's in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know what he does, but – they drafted him after me or something, something along those lines. But I was definitely a better catcher than Brad Ausmus. And I wish I'd had to go back and do it all over again because there wouldn't have been a C.W. Anderson. I'd have just straight played baseball because that was my first love. But when I did go to college, I was playing ball and I liked showing my arm off. That was the one thing I liked doing was showing my arm off. And I blew it out trying to pick a guy off first base from my knees and it hyperextended it. So, I mean, I could still throw pretty hard, but nothing like I could back then does uh did any other family members play baseball where you know your your father or were there any siblings or was anybody else who was big into sports like you were at an early age my entire family my my dad and he excuse me he had four brothers they all played baseball my mom's side my aunt she was a softball and basketball player and they had two brothers and they played softball and basketball. So it was an entire athletic family. And I was the first offspring of them too. My brother, my little brother, um, who's the reason I got into professional wrestling, so to speak. Uh, he's three years younger than I, and he was a ball player too. Uh, he was not the baseball player I was, but we all played sports. It was a very, very competitive family growing up. Uh, I played catcher when I was in high school also. 
So I, I kind of got got a little curious question. Were you the type of guy that I was that would you know talk smack to the to the batter while he was trying to bat, or were you, a were little you more <laughs> a little bit? No, uh, yeah. I more my thing was I like the guys. I like the ones that always said they wanted to steal on me. That whenever it bats, so if I'm getting on first, I'm taking second. I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, they get on. There were some guys I would throw out so far, and they would turn around. I had one guy turn around and run back to first base. I threw him out. I would pick him off first, pick him off third, pick him off second, and never stand up. And I, that was the part that I liked doing, was picking him off and then, like, doing, like, a cannon thing on my arm. I did like doing it. But as far as talking junk to them while they're at bat, hardly ever, unless they started at first about how they were going to steal on me. When it comes to baseball, I mean, obviously you were really, really talented at that. Um, did When did you start to realize, hey, you know what? I've got a real good knack at this. And when did you finally feel like, okay, I'm coming into my own. There is going to be big things on the horizon for me if I continue at this. Um, my 10th grade year, uh, I was catching a game. And the umpire that was calling behind us had been calling for years and years and years and called, you know, other high schools and other places. And he told me one day, he said, you're without a doubt in my X amount of years, whatever it was of umpiring, my favorite catcher to call behind. He said, because you call perfect games, you got perfect framing, you have perfect call positioning, everything. And he would tell my coach, he said, this kid's going to be something one day uh, soon. And not too long after that, um, my baseball coach, when I was growing up, that kind of helped groom me, who actually ended up giving me the name CW, uh, told somebody one time when they were talking about me and it got back to me, he said, Chris is one of the best catchers I've ever seen. They were like, yeah, for, you know, a high school kid. He goes, no, ever. Wow. He said, that, kid, he said, that kid's got a gift. My pitchers used to tell me when the ball would go by them, he said, they've never heard the ball sizzle when it goes by them because it has so much backspin on it because I throw it so hard. And wow. I think it was my 11th grade year people would come early and watch us take infield practice just to see me throw the ball down the second base during warm-ups or down the third because they like to see the guys like scared of it coming because it would be, it was coming so hard. So, you know me, I'm a 17 year old kid with people sitting in the stands, you know, going crazy watching me throw a baseball. I, that was something that I would just, you couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything better. I think that's when I started realizing, okay, I think something's going to come of this. Hope I hope I did anyway. So, well, when you're sitting there playing these, uh, you know, away teams, first time ever playing them, you know, how often does that leadoff guy want to test you? In the beginning, that was it was all the time, um, and then when it was a consistent, that when it got to a point where some of the coaches, the players' dads, were sitting behind me, and when they'd see them go, and I'd release it, and they're like, "He's out," and then I got the reputation where I actually that they didn't want to steal on me. I had one black guy who was quote unquote the fastest guy in the league and he said I was the only guy he was scared to run off of. Wow. And he had never been thrown out until I threw him out. I threw him out twice in the game. I threw him off threw him out at second and threw him out at third. I had a pass ball and it got behind me. He took off and I threw him out. He and he started sliding when the ball got there. So he said he I was the only one he was scared to steal off of. Wow. Well, what would you say is when it comes to catching it, and, and I will definitely segue into, into wrestling here, but we're big baseball people as well. Yeah. Um, what would you say is something that you don't see a lot of 
catchers do these days? Uh, is there anything that's from a fundamental standpoint that you're like, oh gosh, I really wish they would would do this? Or is there anything that's kind of a pet peeve when you when you watch somebody and you watch a game? Framing. I went and watched a college game not too long ago with my brother, and the guys couldn't frame. Neither, and my, even my brother pointed out because you know he he's watched me do it. He says your framing jobs are way better than theirs. And he actually told me he said, Chris, he said now he's I still think you got a better arm than that catcher. So I think it was for Wake. We were play, we went watch Wake Forest and Pittsburgh play, and he said I think you're got a stronger arm than second base than this guy. But that was my pet peeve was two things was framing and the catchers now let the coaches call the game for them. And I never let my coach call one because I was a very intelligent catcher because I think that's why I was, I'm so good at chess because I kept – I would always think ahead of what, you know, what he think – I think he was looking for and what we threw him last time. So I would never let my coaches call my games. And now that's all I see. I've even saw the guy like reading the signals off his arm from the dugout like a football quarterback. It shows me you're not – that intelligent that you can't remember signals like that. It's interesting because every time we see someone throw a perfect game or a no hitter, it always seems like it's the pitcher who gets all the attention, but the orchestra, the, the, the person orchestrating all of it, the Picasso, the one making sure everything goes to where it needs to go and, and telling the pitcher, Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that is the catcher. And yeah. so, I just wish they got guy, more credit. You're, you're, you're right. Yes. You know, we're kind of the unsung heroes because the pitchers are always one that's the showcase. And I remember when I was playing, uh, when I, as soon as I got out of college, I started playing semi-pro ball. Um, and I was, I played, in a, I was the only white guy in the league. So, um, I remember the Cubs would come and watch, they came and watched one of our pitchers. The very first game they watched him, his name's Greg Bobbitt. They signed him because he threw a perfect game. And the reason he threw the perfect game, he told me is because of me. Because he never shook me off. He always trusted every pitch I called. He, he never shook me off. And that he put all trust in me in that game, and he threw a perfect game. He threw it everywhere I called it. If I called it high, inside, back him off the plate, you know, something outside that I could pick the guy off with, he would throw it every, every perfect. It was like one of those days he could have thrown it in a court glass jar. You know, he, he threw a perfect game. And that was – I loved being able to call those games, having the batters fooled. Um, and I say, of course, I got screwed a lot of times. I got home runs hit off my pitchers and stuff. But, I mean, it's going to happen. But I loved being able to do that, you know, call pitch outs when they were stealing or break up hit and runs, things like that. That's, that's the one thing I miss about playing baseball is being that general behind the plate. So baseball career to wrestling career, how, how did that transition for you? When baseball fell to the wayside, I got a real job. And I was a land surveyor. So it's literally what I'm doing now uh, as, my, as my shoot job. And I just started. I saw a buddy of mine in McDonald's. And we had actually done a little, quote, unquote, backyard wrestling when I was like 16 and 17. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And I graduated high school, of course. I was in my early 20s. Saw him, asked him what he'd been up to. And he said he was still wrestling. And I said, where are y'all wrestling at? He said, well, actually, we got a show in this town this weekend. Um, so he told me to come to the show if I won't do anything, to get there early. We'd get in the ring and see if I still had it to roll around. And I got in the ring with him when I got to the show early and rolled around and caught that bug again, and it just kind of took off from there. So it was just a fluke chance of seeing him at McDonald's one day. 
Because I actually, you know, there's a lot of people who probably know this, some don't, that I hated professional wrestling growing up. I didn't watch it. It was my brother that got me into watching it. Well, that was going to be my next question here. So normally people who get into wrestling are normally people who follow it and watch it and really love it. And then they're inspired by someone and they then try to find a training school. But what's interesting is you weren't necessarily a big fan of it. It was introduced mm -hmm. to you. So were your brothers, as you said before, big fans? And then all of a sudden they started to try to, hey, you need to sit down and watch this. Yeah, so I have one brother, his name's Kevin. And he was weird because we live outside of Raleigh and here in North Carolina. And uh, NWA is, was it growing up. And that's all we got. We, got, we would watch that and world class because we didn't have cable or anything. So we got local channels. So... I watched Saturday Night Live a lot, and this was like mid-80s, and he watched wrestling on Saturdays, and he said, look, it's one show, sit down with me, watch one match, just <laughs> one match, and he said, if you don't like it, I'll never ask you again, so I said, okay, I sat down with him and watched it, and this match is actually on YouTube, it was July 4th or 5th, 1985, and it was the Rock and Roll Express versus the Russians, it was Uncle Ivan Koloff and uh, Crusher Khrushchev, Barry Darso. And it was the finish where Ricky Morton rolled up Uncle Ivan with a victory roll and pinned him, and they won the NWA belts. Um, when they did that, I remember Kevin and I jumping around. Again, we're kids. I'm 14. He's 11 or 12. We're jumping around screaming because the Americans had just beat the Russians for the belts. And, man, I was hooked right there. I was watching it all the time, getting the magazines and stuff like that afterwards. So yeah, you so everybody can you can blame my brother Kevin for creating CW Anderson <laughs> to an extent. Uh, you talked about obviously watching um, Texas wrestling as well, the world class championship wrestling. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody in particular that you really gravitated towards when you were watching that promotion? I mean, so many different stars came out of that promotion. Um, obviously, we know the Von Erichs were, were really big down there. Obviously, with Fritz running the the operations, mm -hmm. but anybody stand out to you that you were like, hmm. I'm going to keep my eye on this one. Chris Adams. He's the reason I do the super kick now. He's, he's the one. And it was funny that I got so close to Jack Victory. I still am close. And he was there. And listening to him tell stories of the Von Erics and everything that went on down there. Was, man, I could sit and listen to him talk for hours. But I think, yeah, Chris was my the one that I love watching him and Gino before Gino died. So you go ahead and you start wrestling and uh, – I did see that there was an interaction that you had. Uh, well, there's a couple interactions you had. One was with Ole Anderson. And uh, a lot of people like to say he's kind of a curmudgeon guy. And uh, what is your take on that? Do you think that's a fair ass uh, assessment of him or, or not so much? If I had to take my one inter interaction with Ole, he is a miserable old man. Um, I had just gotten back from Japan, literally got off the plane the night before and had a show, High Spots Wrestling was putting the show on, and they were doing this show and booking Ole for him to give me the blessing with the Anderson name. Because um, Gene is the one that gave me the blessing to use it before he passed away. And I always loved how fans always used to tell me, you're not a real Anderson. And my response, well, you know, none of us are jackass. And that's the one thing they couldn't understand. Um, because, Ar I mean, Arn, Ole, or myself, you know, are, are not real Andersons. Gene was the only one. So – when I had my interaction with Ole, he was supposed to get in the ring with me. And I think I wrestled Chris Hammock that night. He was supposed to get in the ring with me, give me the blessing of being an Anderson and go from there. Well, he was just peddling that miserable book of his. And he was just sitting at the table. He didn't want to have any interactions. I went up and introduced myself when I got there. 
And he goes, so you're the other Anderson. And I went, yes, sir. And about that time, one of my friends came up to me, you know, give me the man dap with the hug and stuff like that real quick. And he said, my God, I've been on this wrestling, I forgot, like 10 years, and everybody's turned into a bunch of faggots, was his response. Wow. I said, shit. So my girlfriend at the time, she went up and introduced herself, and he, his response was literally, I don't care who you are. How about buying my book? Wow. So he wouldn't get in the ring with me. I had to go out to him and I cut a promo on him and then I cut a promo on him later because he was just a miserable human being to be around with. He was not pleasant. Uh, you know, the other way, Arn is, is completely 180 degrees. Arn's an amazing human being. And, um, but if my one interaction with Ole had to say the type of person he is, yeah, he's a miserable old person. And I've never had a good word to say about him. I've watched so many of his shoot interviews, and um, it, it's just very interesting his his take on how certain wrestling events had happened, and his take on history, and what he believes or perceives certain people to be. And it seems to be like he is very much on an island, all on his own, and his thoughts completely belong to only him. Yeah. And I don't find many people that I've either personally spoken with or I've watched interviews who can say they agree with him so i'm with you 100 percent on that one yeah so when you when you first started breaking into wrestling obviously who was who were some of the people who actually started to uh, to train you in the beginning um i never really trained with anybody i would go to a little wrestling school down the road from where i live at and get in the ring with some other other wrestlers and we just go over things um i was lucky i got to sit in the locker room on a lot of shows with Jimmy Valiant, Ivan Koloff, Wahoo McDaniel, um, guys like that on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So I would get to sit and listen to them and get around other guys that had been in the wrestling business longer than I have. Um, you know, I started with the Hardys and Shane Helms and uh, let's see, Christian, Matt, Christian York, Joey Matthews or Joey Mercury, Steve Carino, loaded. We all started together. There was like 15 of us that started together. So we were all wrestling each other, you know, all the time. So we, that's how a lot of us got better is just by wrestling each other. And I would sit down and talk to Ivan Koloff or Jimmy Vian. And my big thing with Ivan Koloff that one of somebody told me was to have him sit and talk to you about psychology. I didn't want to know how to do moves. I didn't want to know how to do these things. Just teach me about psychology. And one of my first lessons learning the hard way to an extent was, and Ricky Morton even tells us that when he teaches seminars and he talks to his students was my partner and I were wrestling Ricky and Robert. And, you know, at the time I'm 260, 270. And I was, was, and still am a mark for Bobby Eaton. Everything he did in wrestling, you know, to me, he's probably the best there is. That's my opinion of Bobby Eaton. And um, so I marked out for him. I did his leg drop, did his swing and neck breaker, patterned my punch in the beginning after him with the snap, um, and I wanted to do all these crazy things that night with Ricky and Ricky told me, he, he put his hands on my shoulder. He goes, CW, he said, tonight, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work your little finger. He said, if you listen to me, we're going to get over more by working this little finger than we are. If you do all them damn dumbass moves. <laughs> so on the, on the outside, I'm like, okay, Ricky, whatever you say, I'll, I'll listen to you tonight. But on the inside, 23 24 years old not really trained right and i'm like you don't know what the hell he's talking about and 100 he was right we worked he worked a little finger and i sold it 
like crazy. And he got over so much more than what I did if I wanted to do my leg drop and stuff like that. Because wrestling, wrestling today, and it has always been, wrestling is emotion over motion. So if the people on TV now would learn that and stop doing all these damn flips and all this crazy shit and just learn to get the people involved, they would save their body and save their and extend their careers and people would be more invested in what they are now. But that was one of the biggest lessons I learned was, you know, just selling something that small that they want to feel it and they want to see that emotion that they want to feel like they're a part of it as opposed to just going out there and doing a hundred damn flips. Well, WWE nowadays has the performance center and it's like top of the line, but back in the mid nineties, WCW started out with the power plan. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your time with the power plan? Those three days of hell that I had to go through to get that. If somebody, and I tell people this, if somebody said, CW, we're going to sign you for a million dollars, come back to wrestle. But all you got to do is go through those three days of hell at the power plant again. No, thanks. I'll go work at McDonald's. I'm okay. You know, I, I went through those three days and it was the, you finally, you feel like you realize what your body can take. If you got people pushing you, if you got people supporting you, not letting you give up. Um, but in the beginning, you know, there was the three days. There was 35 people that started in my camp. Uh, it was in February of 97, 98. At the end of the first day, there was five people that stayed. At the end of the second day, there was only four of us, and that's what finished. Oh, my God. I, I, that place had a 96, 97% failure rate, and that's what Sarge and those guys were trying to make you do. They were trying to make you quit. And it was only, they didn't want Casper Hayes. They wanted somebody that had heart. And that was two or three times that I had, I said, fuck this, I'm quitting. Right. And my buddy who was one of my students who was already there, because Lodi was one of my students who, you know, was Raven's sign guy. And his tag partner, was, his name's Curtis White. He ran as Toad, but he did a little bit at the end of WCW. He teamed with PG-13 as Frog when they were fighting the Young Dragon. So that was a little, you know, a little bit he did. He was there those three days with me and he stayed with me the three times I wanted to quit. He wouldn't let me quit. He threw me like right back in it. Cause you know, you start your day out stretching for about 15 minutes and then Sarge will come in his angry, pissed off self, throwing his bag, screaming, cussing, screaming, at everybody to get a bucket. So you got five gallon buckets. Everybody was around in a circle. And then you had the students that were already there standing behind you and you had to start squatting, touching that bucket and everybody counted. If somebody didn't count, you started back over. Somebody didn't touch that bucket. You started back over. And it was that and push-ups and neck bridges forward and backwards. Uh, then he would take you outside and sprint you for an hour. And you did this from 9 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon with a 20-minute lunch break. And that was it. It was nonstop. That's incredible. Um, wow. It was, it was Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Friday was not quite as long. Um, but then you would get in the ring and run the ropes and do flips and get out of that ring and run to the other ring. And it was like, you were just like a carousel going around and around. Um, and when you were outside sprinting, he'd pair you up. And if you were the last guy to come back in that, in that group and sprinting, you had to knock out 50 squats and be ready by the next time your guys were up. And that would, he would do that an hour at a time. So, so it, well, I'm sorry. Continue. No, no. I would say it was just a crazy endurance thing is what it was. So was it something that most people took themselves out of the camp or was it something where they were asked not to come back? They took themselves out. They just quit. 
And there was one time I was about to throw up and Sarge grabbed me by the shirt. Actually, I went to throw up and Sarge went in there after me because he knew I was, you know, a friend of Lodi and Toad's. So he was extra hard on me and wasn't going to let me quit. And he was in there screaming at me, you're not going to throw up in my damn place. He just kept on grabbing me by the back of the collar and threw me back out there in between everybody. And then he got me in the middle and Toad smartened me up on this. He, that when people, he thinks he's trying to break people. He'll get you in the middle of everybody and get you on your back and tell you to kick your legs and arms. When you do that, he says, Sam, I'm a dying cockroach. Sam, I'm a dying cockroach, sir. And if you say that, he is on your ass. So he did that to me. He got me down. He was making me kick my arms and legs. I mean, I was sweating. And I had done so many push-ups that when you were doing squats, you had to drop down to your face. And I'd done so many push-ups, my hands and arms wouldn't brace me. So my head was slamming off the canvas off that padding and my nose was peeled and bleeding so i had blood all over me and he was screaming at me because i was getting blood on his canvas and he was saying sam my dying cockroach sir i said no he said sam my dying cockroach i said kiss my ass sergeant i'm fucking saying it he got he snatched me back up and got me back in line and toad was standing there watching him and sarge was giving me that like okay nod like he's gonna do it and he looked at toad and toad was like laughing so he knew Toad smarted me up. And he's like, you motherfucker. So he took it out <laughs> on all of us. <laughs> wow. So yeah. but for three, day, three days, man, I hated Sarge. I, and, you know, that night, the Friday, Lodi had flew back into town from Thunder and Nitro and all that. And he drove us home. And I remember in the passenger seat passing out. And he said, I, Lodi said I was waking up screaming because I was having nightmares of Sarge in my face screaming. And I had to throw up one time and we pulled off the side of the interstate and Lodi let me out of the car. And he said, he looked over and he saw me walking and he looked back and I was gone. I had fell. I had, my legs were so out. I had fell down the, the ditch ravine on the interstate. So, oh my God. but when I came back, man, man, I, I love Sarge. He's one of the nicest people I've ever been around. And he helped me. He took the mess that was CW Anderson from the Indies. And him and Pat Watley, God rest his soul, and Mike Winter molded it into what got my job at ECW. Well, I was watching an interview that Al Snow had given, and he, uh, Ole and Gene Anderson had been running their own uh, training camps as well. And it was very similar to what you were explaining as well. They were having to do the the wheelbarrow, I guess, where one guy would have to grab the legs and the other guy would have to continue to, like, to, to walk on his hands mm-hmm. and they had to do that and then they had to reverse it and then run stadium steps and all that. And I guess my, my question is it's, it's more of a mental thing to see if you really want to be here. And regardless of how long it takes you, if you continue to, to stick it out, then you're going to earn your, your keep, I assume. Yeah. When I, when I ran my training schools, my tryouts were the exact same to the point where I had three different news stations from the area. Very, you know, the big three news stations came and did stories on my schools because of the tryouts and, you know, the students that came from my school and the talk it got because it was, it was, it was a mini boot camp. You know, the tryouts, I had four guys finished in my class at the power plant. Two of them were Marines. And so they went to Paris Island in South Carolina to train. And they said Paris Island was a damn cakewalk compared to what we went through for three days wow. to show you the intensity that Sarge put us through. But you're right. They, they don't want, that's one thing. This, this one of the things wrong today is anybody can be a wrestler. You have these 
thumb suckers, as I call them, that think the world owes them something. They get in here and make a joke of this business. And it's what's killing wrestling, in my opinion, from these guys that don't, they don't want to wrestle. They don't want to take it serious. It's a big joke to them. They want to do comedy and stupid shit like that. Um, and, and think the fans. And then you got the little niche audience that loves shit like that, um, that love the, you know, 100 and 200 spot matches. So I know I'm just exaggerating, but still, those guys that do nothing but flip. Right. Um, they aren't going to have a, you know, a 10-year career because they're going to be injured. So anybody can get in this business. And I wish you had that requirement of the power plant of earlier jeans, something like that, that you had to go through that. You just didn't have somebody that went stock shelves at Walmart on Wednesday. And then on Thursday night, you're wrestling in the bar. So. Do you think there's too many of these schools out here right now and, and people who just aren't qualified to be actually running them? They, they, they get a pair of boots. They start wrestling to, to what extent I don't know. But and all of a sudden they have a ring, and all of a yep. sudden they start training people, and it's it's almost like kids having kids. It's you, they're not ready to be at that stage. Do you think that's yeah. a big problem as well? Oh, one hundred percent. The the facility I were, I wrestled for in the beginning, they had me training people. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and at the time, I didn't know it. I wasn't really getting paid. I was just doing it, to, you know, because Lodi was one of my first students. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and you got guys that never, I always tell people, if you're going to go to a school, go somewhere that's reputable, you know, like Booker T's or the monster, you know, Danny Cage's monster factory, um, or the Dudley's or D, you know, Devon, somebody like that, that's been somewhere that's done that, that has that reputation, you know, Al Snow stuff, anywhere like that, these guys that know what they're doing. But the bad thing is you get people that don't know a damn thing about wrestling. And then they find out this, you know, Billy Bob has got a damn wrestling school. They don't know that he don't know what the hell he's doing. And all he's going to do is take their money. And then they get in the ring with guys like me. And they're like, where the hell did this clown come from? Because nobody's trained. I, I've, you know, since I've been back, I've wrestled several matches. And my first, two of my first three, I got hurt because the guys I was in the ring with were the shits. To the point where the second, the tag team I wrestled, I asked the guy after the second time he hit me, do I fucking owe you money? <laughs> <laughs> wow it's, it, they're that, they, were that, they are that bad you know you just get in the business one they were it's, this is the type that this is the, because to show you they're not trained they don't know what the hell's going on they come to the show they've been in the business a couple of years they walk by me Lodi Preston Quinn and they don't speak to us they don't speak to us for most of the night until it's time to get to go over the match and then I'm going over the match and I had the, I'm working with the guy in the back doing something I said alright I said give me the Iggy and let me know when we're reversing. He goes, what's that? I should have known right then we were in trouble. Right. Nobody's properly trained. You had mentioned earlier before, um, you know, there's all different kinds of promotions out there. And, and it is Cirque du Soleil. And the comedy stuff, done sparingly, can work. Uh, but when it's too much of that Gaga stuff, I feel like it, it is kind of insulting to, to wrestling, to people who really have trained hard to do what they do. What are your thoughts on some of the promotions, um, obviously no longer, uh, like Shakara? Do you feel like that one was just unfortunately not a good example of what professional wrestling should be? Or do you think that wrestling can be a little bit of everything? Wrestling needs to be a little bit of everything. Jack Victory told me a long time ago, and I still hold true to this. If you come to a show, the fans get to see a hardcore match, 
or an ECW style match. East, they get to see an old school match. They get to see one of the flip matches. They get to see something like the Jakara match. They get to see a little bit of a comedy. They get to see a women's match. You have gone in one show and given every fan whatever they like. You've given them everything. One of those fans is going to be a fan of that match, one of those matches. And you're going to satisfy pretty much the entire audience. Because some fans, you get the older crowd that's a fan of old school wrestling. You get some that are a fan of the new style. Some of this fan of the luchador, the women's, whatever it is. You have to give them a, thing, a little bit of everything. You can't give them one style of match one on every show. It's got to be different. You, there has to be a heel. There has to be a baby face. You cannot do no heels and no baby faces because it's going to blow up in your face. That's not wrestling. And again, with, like you said, Chikara didn't last because it's the same thing night in and night out. Right. It's, it's not, there's nothing different. It's like wrestler A and B with a different mask. It's like how WWE used to be back in the day. It's bodybuilder A and bodybuilder B with just different hair color. Yeah. Do you feel like there's any promoters out there right now that you really, you really feel like they get it when it comes to putting a show together? You know, you work for them and you go, okay, they get it. They understand the reason how all this works together. Is there anybody in particular that's, that stands out? 100% is the guys I wrestle for once a month. Uh, Tracy Myers and Brian Hawks who run AML Wrestling. They're the ones that also run WrestleCade. If you've heard of, ever heard of WrestleCade, they're the, mind, they're the minds behind that. They've been in business seven or eight years now, and they're still putting people in there because, again, they give the fans a little bit of everything. Two years ago, up until the pandemic hit, I had a feud with George South. We give them four matches, and they, it's, on the, it's on YouTube. They call it the second greatest story ever told. Because every match me and George did, we did not one move out of the 80s, and everything was called in the ring. And the fans the fans were eating it up so hard. The second match, we got messages the entire week saying it was like watching a Rocky movie. The promoter said he cried once in professional wrestling, that it was the night Shawn Michaels superkick Ric Flair to retire. And that match with me and George, he cried twice because wow. of the emotion we were giving the fans. And then we finished it with probably the most brutal I quit match I was ever in, including my one with Dreamer. Um, and it was a story and it made sense. And it was a perfect blow off, but it was an old school match, the entire thing. And we had the people eating out of our hands and that's what AML does. Tracy gives myself, Preston Quinn, uh, and Brian, Brian Hawks, who helps, who's the booker control to do what we want to do as long as it makes sense and sticks to professional wrestling. He's got guys that flip around. He's got these guys called the Dawson Boys. They were on NWA for a little bit. They're buddies of mine, really good tag team. Um, he's, you know, they'll bring women every now and then, but they give them a little a bit of everything. But what Tracy and Brian give you is the emotion instead of, you know, with a little bit of emotion. That way the fans keep coming back because they believe the wrestlers. Well, and that, in, AM, AML, AML, that's the top one for me. Well, well, back in ECW, Paul was given a little bit of, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, yeah. and, you know, it worked quite well. And, Paul was a genius at that. Oh, yeah. And, and what was your thoughts your first time, you know, being in the arena that everybody has known and loved? Petrified. I remember the first match. I had my students, some of my students came up and watched me. It was myself and Vito LaGrasse. Skullbond Crush, worked Danny and Roadkill, and they were sitting around a few people and heard them say with us, and they said, and the, the fans quoted, well, this C.W. Anderson won't never make it at ECW. They remember them saying that. And when I was tagging with Vito, it was what Vito wanted to do, 
when he wanted to do it. We would work matches, and all I would get was like an arm ringer. He wanted to do double spine busters and double super kicks because those two moves were getting over from him, and he had to do them. But it was a night in and night out thing. And I remember after that match, he cussed me out in the back because I don't remember why. It was just because he was vetoed. But I remember stepping out and walking through the curtain going, holy shit, I'm at the ECW arena. The very first live promo I ever did was at the ECW arena. And you're talking to somebody that was petrified of a camera. I couldn't cut a promo. I didn't know how to talk. I sucked in the beginning. And I remember Paul threw me to the wolves. And it was the night that Bobby Eaton came out uh, where I had Simon and Swinger turn on his their little entourage. And we teamed up. And Bobby Eaton came out. And uh, I remember sliding in the ring, standing in front of Simon and Swinger. And I wish you could have got a close-up on, on my knees because my knees were like this. They were shaking so hard. I was so scared. And I, it got to the point I loved wrestling in front of the ECW crowd, especially the arena, because you had to be on your A game there. And one night I wrestled super crazy. And he put me through a table with a Frankenstein on the outside and rolled in and pinned me. And when I stood up, I, they started chanting, see fucking dub. I had wow. finally gotten, gotten over with them. And that was the chant I got at my equip match was when I stood up in the arena and they were chanting, see fucking dub, see fucking dub. I knew that I, I think I had kind of made it ECW because I was getting that appreciation from those people. Don't you feel like it's almost getting indoctrinated into a, I don't want to say into a gang or whatever like that, but you know what I mean? Like you've passed the initiation and now you're one of us. And mm -hmm. that, that means something to somebody who, has worked so hard like you did for so many years. And then obviously to get to the, a place where you wanted to be and to have that kind of response. I think that's awesome. I, I, when I started getting, getting to that point where I started getting over with the fans and them, I remember when I was started, you know, punching and knocking people out with my punch and they were popping for it because they, you know, it, they, they, it was looking so good. And I was starting that whole thing when I realized I was starting to get over with them. That was like I said, a great feeling knowing that I come from just, you're a nobody. Who the hell are you to, you know, I had my own little fan club that held up pizza boxes and had the CW on it. So that was, that was the best, the best part. I had my own little fan club with that. There's a, there's a story that I had uh, heard about that JJ Dillon, um, once again, probably didn't say the most uh, kind things what was your thoughts on your interactions with uh, with JJ? Um, from what I understand, JJ said, I don't think this guy's got the body or the personality or, or whatever to really make it. Tell me if, if that if I'm understanding that story correctly. Well, he didn't tell somebody else. He told me. Right. He told it directly yeah. to you. Yeah, directly to me when I was at a power plant. My first ever interaction with JJ. Now, I love JJ to death now. Um, you know, he's managed me a few times, and I've been in many shows with him, and I don't even think he'll remember that. But him and Paul Orndorff came up to me when they came and saw the talent that the power plant had. It was you know, me and Toad and Lash LaRue, Mike Sanders, Elix Skipper, the Natural Born Thrillers, Chuck Palumbo, you know, all those guys. And all of them had to wrestle a match to see, you know, if they were going to stick around. And Toad and I went last. And, you know, the boy, we had such a ECW-style match. The boys were popping. And Brad Armstrong was there. And he come up to me afterwards. And he like CW told me, he said, that match is awesome, man. He's like, that's straight damn ECW stuff there. Um, he said, that was good shit. And by that time, JJ and Paulo, Paul came up to me and Paul Orndorff, and they said, you know, we thought the match was good. Uh, you, your talent's kind of okay. You just really don't have the body. WCW is really not so much a wrestling company anymore. 
that we just don't think you're, you could make it in WCW because you don't really have anything to give us to, you know, to market because you're not marketable to that extent. Wow. That was, that was like, a, that was a big shot to the gut. Did you ever talk to anybody about the comments that, that JJ had made to you? Did you go back to your boys and say, Hey, you know, FYI, or did you kind of keep that to yourself? No, I just kind of, Toad was, you know, he and I rode back and forth together. So I told him and told Lodi, I was just kind of frustrated with being there. And it wasn't too long after that, that, you know, the whole ECW thing came about, which um, I was blessed with, with that. But that, that was a frustrating time for me because I thought I was progressing because, you know, I would, Toad and I would work each other on the weekend. It was like we were booked together every weekend and we'd bring our video in and we'd let Sarge look at it and he'd critique it and he'd give us different things to do. Um, and we do different things to try to impress him. Like one, one match, he said we did too many rope spots and we locked up too many times. And I remember we worked a 25 minute match that we did lock up once and not one rope spot and told a story. And it's, you know, just to see if that's what we could get out of him. And that's what he said. 25 minutes. You told a story, not one rope spot, not one lock up. Fantastic. So it was like our homework assignments. And then to get, think we were progressing and then to get that, like kicking the balls. <laughs> was uh it was almost like you know one step forward and 10 steps back wow so so how exactly did the ecw invitation come about toad got a tryout one weekend in uh georgia since he was partners with Lodi. uh Lodi called asked raven for the favor and raven asked dreamer so dreamer got toad to try out and um i want to say it was a cobb county civic center maybe i think that's where we're at so the night before, Toad and I were tagging up against the public enemy in South Carolina, and he was going down. Well, I really didn't want to go. I, you know, you see ECW on TV. I was kind of scared, and I'm such an introvert that I was really nervous and didn't want to go. And he drug me down there. He said, come. He said, you know, you and Steve Carino are friends. You get to hang out with him and see him for a little bit. And Simon Diamond, who was Paul Diamond, I think Paul Diamond at the time, um, get to see him because I knew them from around North Carolina. So he went and did his, he got in the ring and he tried out with Angel and Nova was kind of watching over it. And I was standing there talking to Steve and Simon. And when he got done with his tryout, Nova le leans out of the ropes because I had introduced myself before. He's like, Chris, do you have your gear? I said, yeah, it's in the car. He said, well, run and get it. Let's see what you can do. I remember running out to the car, threw my gear on and got back in the ring. He threw Simon in the ring with me and we did a little five minute match. Nothing too fancy. And I got done. And he's like, damn, Chris, man, you got some good timing. He said, your timing, your footwork's perfect. I was like, thanks, Nova. I appreciate it, man. And I get out of the ring, and about that time, I hear a voice over in the uh, chairs yelling at Fonzie. Fonzie, get the ball guy back in the ring. Let's see him work out some more. So Fonzie's like, Daddy, he wants you back in the ring. I'm like, who? I look out there, and it's Paul Heyman. He's sitting there with Taz and the Dudleys, and they're watching tryouts. So he throws me back in the ring, and by the next hour, hour and a half, I'm, different guys are coming at me, and I'm working out with them, super kicking, punching, spine busting, getting bumped, all kinds of shit. Shows, the doors are getting ready to open, so we all go in the back, and I remember going in the bathroom, and I'm spitting up blood in the sink because I was bumping so hard and hitting the turnbuckle so hard, just trying to show out. And I still see the flash of the door opening and then Paul Heyman walking in in classic Paul Heyman gear. He walks right up to me and he sticks his hand out and he goes, hey, I'm Paul Heyman. It's, it's nice to meet you. I said, hey, Paul, I shook his hand. I said, my name's Chris Wright. I said, it's an honor to meet you, sir. And he says, uh, how long have you been wrestling? So he asked me how long I've been wrestling. He said, where are you wrestling at now? I said, well, I'm at the power plant. And I said, been there for about a year and a half. And he says, are you on contract there? 
I said, no, sir. I said, I just got told recently that um, I didn't really have what it takes to be a product of WCW. And he says, what's your wrestling name? I said, C.W. Anderson. He goes, I knew it. He says, you look like Arn. You have the left punch and the spine buster like Arn. He goes, don't leave before I talk to you tonight, Chris. I said, yes, sir. He said, hang out in the back. You're more than welcome. I said, okay. So I'm hanging out. You know, people are filing in. Show's not too long from being started. And Jim Molina comes up to me and goes, are you CW? I said, yes, sir. He said, Paul wants to see you in the back. So we go back in the locker room, and he's sitting there with Vito LaGrasa, Danny Dorn, and Roadkill. He introduces me to him. He says, you're tagging with Vito, your third match. Welcome to ECW. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. That's amazing. He told Danny Roadkill, hit him with three finishes to pin me. And they hit me with three finishes and Skull turned on me. And that was kind of our thing for like the next little loop was they finished, hit me three finishes uh, to finish me. And Vito would turn on me and it just kept doing that. And I remember my next loop was Florida. I drove down to Fort Lauderdale by myself. And my second match, I wrestled Tom Marquez. And I find this out later. Paul put me over. My second match, I go over. And later that night, Bubba Ray Dudley comes up to me and goes, we have a promo tonight with balls. Do you want to be in it? I'm thinking, shit, yeah, I want to be in it. So I'm like, yes, sir, absolutely. He says, but you got to take a chair shot. Is that okay? And on the inside, I'm going, fuck. But <laughs> <laughs> on the outside, I'm like, yes, sir, that won't be a problem. And I'm standing around. I look over, and I see Devon take a chair from balls and switch it and give him another one. Well, he hits me with the chair in the promo, um, gets me like these Flintstone lumps on my head. And like a few weeks later, I'm sitting there talking to Balls, and, and uh, Balls tells me that Bubba made Devon switch the chair and give him one of them old 1950s big, thick metal chairs because I was new, and I, I, I deserved it. And what it was was Taz and Bubba got mad because I went over in my second match. They didn't feel like I was paying my dues, and they went and fussed with Paul, like, who's this fucking new guy you're putting over? So I got that chair shot, and then we were in Winston-Salem not too long after that, and I did a super kick in the match, and I kind of bounced around and, like, pranced a little bit. After the match, I'm walking back. Bubba grabs me and jacks me up in the corner and goes, for some fucking reason, you're Paul's flavor of the month. He's high on you. He said, you're dancing out there like a fucking faggot. He said, if you're a heel, be a fucking heel. Don't ever let me see you dancing around out there. Do you have, do you understand me? I was like, yes, sir. I got it. Wow. That was kind of my thing. And then at the end, the last Queens match, Bubba beat me up so bad in a match. I didn't know who I was for three days. He beat the shit out of me. And it was... I think Paul had something to do with it because I remember Jerry Lynn and Spike telling me they were sitting there cussing him out while the match was going on because it was almost like a hazing because after the I quit match, I was getting the television belt and then I was going to get the ECW heavyweight belt. So it was kind of my hazing, my passing on to be the next big guy at ECW because they were going to get, they were going to turn me face after my I quit match. And uh, I remember me and Devon talking about it a few years ago at house at Tommy's house of hardcore because it was got brought up. And I said, but I said, Devon and Bubba beat me up that night. And Devon goes, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. He said, that was all Bubba. I had not a fucking thing to do with it. He says, I like you CW. He said, and so does Bubba. He said, but we were told, he said, and Bubba took it a little too far. So Paul put a hit out on me and they, they beat the shit out of me. 
I don't even remember the match. I remember I got powerbombed off the top rope. Bubba took a machete and cut me. I don't remember none of it. Let me ask you this. I mean, I, and I'm not a wrestler, so obviously take this with a grain of salt, but I'm always of the belief that you're supposed to go out there and make it look good, make it look real. Sometimes it's got to be snug because that's just the way it is. Do you feel like if you're a new guy in a company or a territory and the quote-unquote pay-your-dues time is happening, do you just come to expect that things are going to be laid in extra hard? Should you just come in expecting certain things to happen, or is that on a case-by-case situation? Maybe it's a case-by-case, but you know, when I went to Japan, my first tour, I got the shit kicked out of me by Hashimoto and Fujiwara, Mm -hmm. and then Takawa beat me – he clubbed me like a seal for 15 minutes uh, when I worked him. And it was just, it was a new guy and I, I come to expect it. And, you know, back then that's kind of how Bubba was. He, he was just, and even cause even Spike used to hate wrestling cause Bubba's just so damn stiff. And Bubba's not like that now. Bubba's easy to work with. He's been easy to work with, but it was just, you know, a few of those things that, you know, D-Bone was always great to work with, but that's how it was at ECW. When you came in, you won't get the shit kicked out of you to some extent to see if you could take it and see if you had what it takes to stick around and not be a complaining bitch. And I didn't complain. I just, I just knew, I knew just something. That's just how it is. That's how wrestling, how wrestling should be to some extent. You know, if these guys got a little bit of attitude or, you know, I mean, I didn't have that attitude, but you know, they, you should just kind of put it on them a little bit to see if they got what it takes. Because a lot of them, you know, that promotion I, I do work for, for AML, we had guys there that were, they wanted me to critique their match. But when I critique it, I don't tell them what they did right. I tell them what they did wrong. I tell them it fucking sucks. This sucks. Fix this. Why in the hell are you doing this? This looks stupid. And they would go and cry to Tracy and Brian saying I hurt their feelings. Just because I critiqued their match trying to make them better. And because they sucked. Well, like, this sucks. Why would you do it like that? And then they just don't have thick skin. But I think... At ECW, it was just kind of how it was a little bit, and it, it was okay. You know, it, it hurt like hell, but you know, it's almost that street cred to some extent that the way you look at it. And I didn't complain when Bubba beat the shit out of me, and I remember my one of my friends having to walk me in the bathroom. I don't remember it, but she said she walked me in the bathroom and cleaned the blood off my face. And Chili Willie, who was one of my students, he had to walk me on the plane. They weren't going to let me on the plane because I had a head injury uh, from all that. Now, real quick, Rid, when they say when you say somebody beat the shit out of you, do you mean like just like if two people were meeting in the back of an alley? I mean, literally going at you with that kind of vengeance, or are we talking in a wrestling type of way? Because it sounds like it's a, a, a pier six, like you just took someone's wallet and they're gonna they're gonna take it out on you. The way they were hitting me is what it felt like, and like the very first thing, Bubba slapped the shit out of me. I mean, slapped. That's the hardest I've ever been slapped, right in the side of the face, and it knocked me to the ground. And, you know, you can go back and look at the match. It was the last match at Queens. It was me and Simon the Swinger against Dreamer and the Dudleys. It was when the Dudleys made their return. And you see me after the opening spot with Devon and Bubba, I crawl to, to over to Simon, and you see me gingerly put my hand up to tag him. And then if you watch, I collapse off the side of the ring. I fall off the side of the ring. I don't remember. Bubba kept telling me that I kept telling him my brain is scribble-scrabble. I kept saying that. Oh, my God. I don't remember. But it wasn't like he was, they were just fighting. It's just everything he did, he was bringing it. It was like a – it was almost like a work shoot when he was kicking me and punching me, and he, he was putting it on me from what I remember in the, in the beginning, but the rest of it I don't remember. 
Well, I mean, I've done it sometimes to guys. I've done it, you know, guys that have laid it in on me. Uh, but this is a totally different situation where they've kind of laid it in and laid it in. You tell them to lighten up and they don't, and you just give them the receipt and you keep hitting them until they back off. You, you know, it's, it's an un, it's not, that's an unwritten rule in wrestling, but it wasn't so much a fight as opposed to they were just, he was just beating the shit out of me. Wow. Well, well you were in ECW, you know, not a long time, but you had some great memorable matches and feuds. Was there anybody that you did not get to work with while there that you really, you know, I really wanted to wanted to work him? Uh, probably Justin. Just incredible. Or or Lance, one of those two in, in that. But me being a heel and then heels, but I, I always wanted to walk, wrestle Justin because the night I wrestled Steve and Anarchy Rules, Justin and Jerry Lynn wrestled. And I remember sitting there watching it in the go home and the finish was unbelievable. And I remember when they were coming in the back, Dreamer told me, he said, now, you know, Steve's going to win the belt out to Jerry, but you're going to wrestle Jerry. I'm, you're going to wrestle me. You're going to wrestle Carino. You're going to keep wrestling Rob. So I'm going to keep wrestling the top guys. But I hadn't wrestled Jerry that much. But when Jerry came in the back, he knew I was going to start wrestling him. And I looked at Jerry and I said, I want to do that. I want to learn that. He goes, what? I said, I want to learn how to go home like that. I want to make the fans not know when the finish is coming and take them on a roller coaster ride. I said, I want to learn that. So for the next few months when I was with, with Jerry, it was like that. You know, I would work Jerry and Justin would run in. I'd work Carino and Justin would, you know, be a pier six everywhere. So I was involved with those guys on a nightly basis and working RBD. Working RBD was like a night off. He was so over. But I was learning all these things. And that, that, I think working Justin, you know, it's like when I got to ECW, when I was working for that Disney-fied version of ECW, when WWE brought it back, I wanted to work Kurt Angle. And they were going to work. If I hadn't got hurt, Paul said they were grooming a program for Kurt Angle and I to work at, EC, at that ECW before I got hurt and quit or got fired, one or two. Um, so it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, these different names, like Justin Credible and Lance Storm and Jerry – was there anybody in ECW when you were there? Because it seems like you were a very respectful person and, and you wanted to absorb as much as you could. Um, that you really kind of struck up a, a friendship with, if you will. Like, uh, you know, this person w was good to me. This person kind of looked out for me. Was there anybody in particular in the ECW locker room that you can honestly say they they kept an eye out for, for CW? Spike. <clears throat> Spike did. Uh, Tommy did because Tommy and I were in our little traveling clip together, but Spike, for the most part, because Spike was the one that made Rhino stop doing the spine buster. Spike would have my back on certain things. I'd go to Spike if I had a question about a finish uh, that I didn't, I didn't think it would work. I would go to Spike and talk to him about it. Um, Danny and Roadkill always had my back because I, I was married to them for so long in the beginning, work program with them, but mainly it was Spike. And, and uh, got close to him. Um, but I, I never really thanked him for looking out for me. Like, cause I don't even think he knew what he was looking out for me, what he was doing, but he did. And I, I got to say Jerry Lynn too, because the very first time I worked Jerry Lynn, I hadn't been in ECW but a month. And I worked Jerry in New Orleans, in New Orleans. And I, I was scared to death. I was nervous. I screwed up twice. And Paul put Jerry with me to see if I could hang with him. And at the time I really couldn't. And 
when he when Jerry came in the back, he asked Paul asked him. He said he just couldn't hang with you tonight. He said, well, he messed up a couple times. He said, but I tell you, Paul. He said, you give CW a chance. He's going to be the most overheal in our company. He said, mark my words. Wow. So Jerry told me that like the next week or whatever, which gave me huge confidence hell coming from Jerry Lynn. Speaking of Jerry Lynn, I'm um, just kind of staying on this, this train of thought here. He's now a trainer and uh, a coach, whatever the, the superlative is, whatever the title is now producer with AEW. Um, when you were working with Jerry, did he come across to you as somebody that when he decided to retire, he could slide into a role within a company and, and do that kind of thing, working with talent and helping them out and helping groom them? Absolutely. Jerry, not only is Jerry one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever been around, but he has that personality where everybody likes Jerry Lynn. Yes. If you, if you don't like Jerry Lynn, there's, there's something wrong with you. There ain't nothing wrong with Jerry Lynn. That's, that's the way I look at it. But, just, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I knew when I talked to Jerry that very first night and told him I want to learn how to do that style of wrestling, you know, the go-homes and whatnot, that he could teach me. But, and that I, I, I knew once he got done with wrestling, it wasn't a matter of time before he would be teaching somewhere. Yeah, I uh, over three years ago when we started this podcast, myself, Jerry, and Mikey, um, Jerry would call me on the phone, and, and we literally wouldn't even talk wrestling. He would say, hey, you know, how's your family? Or, you know what, hey, hold on a second, let me put the phone down. I'm working on the, something with the crockpot here. And it was just, it was just, when you have a connection with somebody, and it just feels natural, and there's nothing forced it's weird to have that kind of awesome rapport with somebody when you've never met him before, but he's one of those right. people that you're very comfortable around him. And if you're a friend of his, he will absolutely just like Mikey, 100% think about you and take care of you. And, and you're right. There's that intangible thing about Jerry that makes him a, a good dude. Yeah. That's another, Mikey is another one that kind of looked out for me and took care of me. Cause I got to wrestle him. You know, he was my very first pay-per-view match and, he knew I was really nervous about a lot of things and he took some crazy bumps for me to, to help get me over. And uh, Jerry and Mikey are two special people. And it's like when we see each other, God, it, can, you know, it does not matter how many years or months have passed. We pick right back up where we left off. And that's how it is with all the ECW guys and family. No matter where we're at, no, if we see each other, we talk to each other, we pick right back up. We did some kind of Zoom interview not too long ago and we all got back on. And it wasn't even 30 seconds, and we're talking shit to each other. We hadn't seen each other in years. It's like we had this unique bond that I've never had with another group, never will have with another group. Um, those, like, but Jerry, those guys are just so special in their own way. Obviously, ECW is a pretty crazy place. Uh, we've talked to the Blue Meanie. We've heard about this Cylinder of Sin. Uh, we've heard about the Holiday Inn. Uh, we're, I'm not trying to... Uh, incriminate you by anything so you are not you are not obligated to say anything i just will ask you this question um was were both of those locations as crazy as the stories that have um been around on the internet have uh, told us the stories don't do it justice <laughs> oh my god they don't it's one of those you hear the stories but you can't grasp it until you're like in in it and you're like something could be going on especially like the holiday inn and you at in the middle of it, you're you're you've been drinking and you're not quite all there, and you're like, okay, we're going to fucking jail. 
<laughs> just out of nowhere. I don't know where we're going to jail. Somebody's getting arrested or something's happening tonight, but that's how it was at those places. But again, it's like that. the stories don't do it justice. I think Jerry was telling a story to me one time and he said, we, we went in there and uh, Jerry's about as mild as it gets. He, he's, in my opinion, and I'm not saying this to be me, the Andy Griffith of wrestling. So anyway, he says, we walk in the door, we're about to go up to the room. He goes, they got a body bag on a gurney and they're wheeling it out. And he says, I looked at such and such and said, should we leave? And he went, nah, let's go up nah. to the room. Nah. <laughs> I was just like, this is great. This is tremendous. Yeah. You know, it's not, you, we would go to the Holiday Inn. And I remember one night we pulled him, it was cold as shit. And there was, and God bless them, but there was two homeless guys fighting over a piece of cardboard, a piece of cardboard. <laughs> and we stood there and watched it like we were watching down uh, Agler Hearns go at it. Wow. It was shit like that on a regular basis. It was something. Something was going to happen any night, anytime you were there. Something you had a story. And one night, New, New Jack got us there, me and one of the dups and my my girlfriend in time, and give us this little blue pill where we couldn't feel our from our legs down, and decided to tell us his version of the mass transit incident. And I remember looking at my buddy Mike, and Mike goes, I'd run away, but I can't feel my legs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the truth here, uh, you know, he's no longer here with us. He was definitely a very eclectic personality, and he did not hold back on how he felt about people or about situations. What was your thoughts on New Jack, obviously not on camera? Was he the same or... Was Jerome a little bit different when you talked to him, just hanging out at a restaurant or a bar? People started learning this later, and then when, when Jack packed, that me and me and Jack were like this. Um, I still talk to his wife every week. I check on her, and she tells me every time she goes, "Jerome loved you," because he always called me Big Head, and she said you were one of the few that he loved unconditionally. Um, <clears throat> he was he was still Jack to me, but I saw a lot of Jerome when we were together. He and I had some great stories together. Um, nothing that can't be told here, but I remember I was sitting on my couch right here when I found out, and I had seen him not too long ago, and he had messaged me like a week or so ago before he passed and asked me if had I ever finished reading his book. Um. If you disrespected him or if you irritated him, you got to see Jack. Um, but a lot of times he just liked being Jerome. And the last time we saw each other, he we were doing a signing together for the AML people. And he gets out of the car. And every time he gets out of a car, he's New Jack. He's got the New Jack look on his face. And he's walking up because he don't really see anybody. And he hears my voice because he don't know. I said, Jack. And when he sees me, He's smiling from ear to ear. And we sit down, you know, we're selling gimmicks and talking and watching our buddy Brian wrestle. And I got this all on video and he's making fun. He's laughing. He's, he's having the time of his life. Um, you know, Jack abused his body physically and with substances to some extent. And he went above and beyond to give the wrestling fans something they had never seen before to entertain them. You know, nights he would jump off the building or off the building or wherever. I'd be the one to task him of driving him to the next town. And uh, the pain that he was in, just to do it so the fans would 
not only love him, but love ECW more. Um, the night he fell with Vic Grimes and, you know, back Vic damn near killed him because he was scared to death. Uh, you know, I saw Jack decline after that because, you know, Jack grew up not too – or we grew up not too far apart from each other. That's how we kind of got together was we got, got close because we are in Alabama one time, and my girlfriend at the time, her name's Lisa, she's a light-skinned girl. She, she still is. If you had to imagine, she looked like Aaliyah but with Jello's body. You know, she was an amazing woman. Um, so Jack was talking to her in the stands before the show started, and he walks by, and I'd never met Jack before. i just kind of seen him and said, hey – he walks up to me, walks by, and he goes, see, up. I know you're from North Carolina. I said, yeah, I live in Rotten Raleigh. He said, man, I live in Greensboro. He goes, I know you date black girls. I said, that's all I date. He goes, I only date white girls. We like high five and kept it moving. I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> we were like really close. And um, he, uh, I, I drove him around a lot, and I rode him a lot. And I, I know, I wish people could have got to see Jerome more than New Jack and appreciate what he did for ECW and what he put his body through because, you know, there was, I could see him decline, especially when I saw him last time, I could see all the abuse where it was just kind of messing. It, it, it started affecting him here. And I was, I was still shocked when it happened, but again, I, I still talk to his wife every week and check on her and she's, she's still broken. She loved him. And uh, he's definitely missed because I, I, I'm going to miss going to shows it was funny how people promoters would bring him in. And if I was on the show, they're like, you, you got to sit with him. So, he, so he'll be okay. So he, he, you know, he won't cause cause any problems. <laughs> cause any problems. He's just going to sit there and sell his stuff and laugh and joke. That's it. So, but yeah, I wish more people could have gotten no Jerome. He, he's a good man. And I just I, hope he's wherever he's at. I just hope he's not in pain anymore. I think I started to get to know new Jack and understand him a little bit better in the movie beyond the mat, because he actually explained his childhood and his mother and his family. And all of a sudden you start to, the wrestler character starts to go away. And like you said before, the look on his face, he was Jerome and he was talking about his life and he had a tough life mm -hmm. and he did everything he could to get himself out of that type of a situation and to, to make a better life for himself. And um, I guess the big thing is you just never know, where people came from and you can't pass judgment because you don't know what kind of road they've gone up and down and how many times they've gone up and down that road and, you know, got beaten to hell or been treated poorly or belittled and told they're not going to be anything that, that definitely wears on you after a while. Yeah. I have, you know, the two years I was in therapy was my, my therapist told me I, when I told her my upbringing, she said, you've lived a thousand lives. Of, of the things my family has done, the things I've gone through. And you don't know what we've walked in to get to where we're at. And we all have demons. We all have our skeletons. We all have this, we're living a double life to some extent because you have to put on that facade to get through a day and to see what Jack had to go through to put on that facade, to be a, just to get out there and perform. It's amazing. He was around as long as he was, cause he was in pain. You know, I, I, said, I drove him around a lot, even on the Carolina here in the Carolinas and West Virginia and Virginia. I was tasked with driving him around because he just he couldn't do it. He was in a lot of pain. Um, don't take what everybody puts out there as the gospel with a lot of things because we're all fighting and demons 
that nobody knows about. And you can't know what we've gone through until you spend a week in our shoes. Um, so again, I, I have nothing but fantastic things to say about him and got stories for days about him. Um, just funny things. And, you know, he got close to my fiance and he, he got close to the AML people and, it was just good that Jack could be around some normal people in his life for a while and didn't have to put on some kind of front. Want to do a little word association here. I'm going to throw out a name you throw out to me. The very first thing that crosses your mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rhino. Gifted. Uh, Tommy Dreamer. Oh, a lot to Dreamer. I can't just use that one word. Oh, here, my, my career. Paul Heyman. Evil Genius. The Dudleys. One of the best tag teams ever. And proud to say I'm good. I'm friends with them and, and think a lot of them. Uh, Mike Awesome. Fucking idiot. <laughs> um, he, he was on my he was on my list to die. That was a big win for me when he died. So yeah. Masato Tanaka. One of my good friends, love him. And Steve Carino has told, he said, I have the best chemistry with Tanaka of anybody he's ever seen. Uh, Big Sal Graziano. A great man and a complete goof, (laughs) but in a good way. (laughs) Um, Mikey Whipwreck. Master of Insane. Insane's a good word. And we'll we'll end it with Mr. Jerry Lynn. One of my goats. That's awesome. Well, CW, my last thing that I love to end the show with, hot tub time machine. Oh my god, you're gonna ask this question. Uh, I've got to. The, All the right. People, the people want to know. I apologize, CW, ahead of time, but please, by all means, go with your hot tub, bathtub, soap bomb, bath bomb question. I'm going to take a drink. Okay, hot tub time machine. You can travel back in time to any wrestling match in history. You take one person out and insert yourself in that match. What is it and why? Jesus H. Um... This is like a 60 minutes question. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you morally safer uh, here? Oh, man. One person out, one person in. Um, one match. Well, one person I, out, and you're in the match. And me, and me, and me in. Uh, Midnight Express against the Southern Boys. I think Great American Bash, Stan Lane out, me tagging with Bobby Eaton against uh, Steve Armstrong. Is it Steve Armstrong? One of the Armstrongs and Tracy Smothers. One of the greatest tag matches I've ever seen. Man, you're the second person to pick a tag match, and, and it was a great one, too. And, and to compliment you, Bobby Eaton is probably, I would say, right there with Jerry Lynn as the most underrated you know, worker of all time. Yeah, and probably- to, to Bobby's, my, Bobby's my goat. I'll tell you this quick story. First time I got to meet Bobby is that night at the arena when I did the promo. And I'm such a mark for Bobby. When I walked from the arena to the back, there was a curtain, and there was a gorilla position. There was another curtain, and you walked into this like little uh, loading area. 
I walked in the first one. And I looked through the black curtain. I see Bobby sitting there talking to Paul Heyman. Never met Bobby Ford, never seen him in person. I had to go in another room and collect myself. I was like a schoolgirl meeting Justin Bieber. I wow. could not breathe. I could not breathe. And I had to calm myself down before I walked out and met Bobby. It's kind of like how Freeland has to calm himself down, you know, every time he sees me. I mean, it's hard. I mean, look at that. That's that's true. I remember jumping off my couch doing the Alabama Jam onto uh, onto some couch cushions and whatnot because I loved watching that. I think you do that move. is one of the best, and we've heard nothing but good things about him. Before before we let you go, I do want to touch upon this topic here, just because it is it has hit home with us here on Front Row Material. Uh, recently, Mikey has uh, gone on social media, and I'm not sure if you've read his post, but. Um, the the time in the ring has definitely taken its toll. Um, do you feel like there's a lot of guys that came from ECW in the era you were in, and maybe even a little earlier than that, that probably have either through concussions or whatnot, their bodies have lived a thousand lives as far as the punishment that they've gone through and and what that feels like. If you could just kind of shed a few words about that. Um, when we were at ECW, Paul would get mad at you if you put your hand up to block a chair shot. So we had to take them. And usually they were taking them from Balls Mahoney, who's a freaking caveman, swinging that chair. <clears throat> I right now sit at 23 concussions. Um, you can go on YouTube and see a thing I actually just put on TikTok where Tuco Scorpio did his uh, drop the bomb and his ass set on my face and I knocked, was knocked out for seven minutes that actually started me having a stutter and memory loss problems. Not too long after that, I was wrestling, but it was me and Steve Carino and John Schuyler against the ugly ducklings. Steve Carino is my best friend of 27 years. He was my partner for X amount of years. And in the match, I pick him up and punch him because I don't remember who was my partner. If I get too excited now, or if I get like last summer when I, I was going through everything, my stutter was really bad. Sometimes during the day, you know, I've been fighting it this whole interview because most time you don't see, but I'm doing this because my stutter comes along. We did a lot of shit to our bodies that are going to plague us from years to come. And I, I know I'm going to be one of the ones, if it ain't already said it for CTE, um, we have done so much to entertain the fans that, like I said, New Jack is a prime example of the, the things we do to, to numb the pain. And I wish to go back and do it all, a lot of it in because the chair shots, they, they cause a lot of it, the injuries, um, you know, both my knees have no cartilage in them. My, my body's broken down. I, I live with about a six out of 10 pain scale every day. And that's on a good day. Um, how I function and how I'm still able to wrestle at 50 years old. I'm going to have to blame that on genetics. Uh, but I know what a lot of these guys are going through with Mikey, man. And I'm scared for the next 20 years of my life. The what was going to come to and with the, with these guys, because you know, they, you know, when Chris Benoit, they said that what was they did a test on him and his, he had, Onset CTE of a, of a man that had like was like eighty five year old brain or something like that in his late eighties, yeah, because of all the concussions. But I know I've counted from and I'm at twenty three right now. So 
I know over like the past couple of years, it's gotten worse. I, I grip my teeth a lot. I do a lot of different things and uh, stutter and I have a tick that I catch myself doing um, and I didn't have it before. And it's just because my brain can't function. Right? And if I can't talk too fast, uh, sometimes I can't even think of words. Simple word like a door. Sometimes I can't even think of the word door. I, I You'll see me do this and I can't do it. Is it's it part of the business. Is it is it something that's talked about amongst the boys or specifically the ECW contingent? It, does anybody truly open up to each other? I mean, you've been gracious enough and, and just so uh, transparent about this. And, and Mikey has, and I remember he told me recently, it took him a long time to feel comfortable talking about it. Um, do you feel like any other people would like to come forward and talk about it just so they can at least get that off their chest? Or is from a wrestling perspective, is it now nah, you just keep it inside and you just kind of, you, you grunt through it and you, you move on to the next day. I think a lot of, a lot of us that because they, <clears throat> that lets people, that lets us know we're human, that we're mortal. And when you're a wrestler, you're immortal. You know, you, you, you can't get hurt. You, not me. That's not going to happen to me. And I used to think that too. I see the guys that were uh, – my chiropractor tells me all the time, the NFL football players that he treats that are in way worse condition than I am. Um, and I've been lucky. But you know, that's why my, my mom, she's like, I don't want to see you hurt worse than you already are. She said, she'll, tell, she'll catch me sometimes, Chris, calm down, calm down. Because if I get angry or if I get my anxiety, you know, I, one night a few years ago, I'm in a match with Lodi, and it was really hot, and he was swinging a chair and was just going to hit me in the arm. It slipped and turned sideways and hit me here. Oh, the very next day, I started having anxiety attacks. Um, I was, it was, they were bad. It was to the point that night I went to the hospital, and I was so out of my mind. It felt like it was an elephant sitting on my chest, like I couldn't get it off of me, that I was going down a rabbit hole so bad. I'm standing in the hospital, in the emergency room with my ex-wife, and I looked around, and I counted. And I, I said out loud, there's six people in here. I said I could kill every one of y'all. Nobody could stop me. My mind just, I was, that's where I was at. You just go in these rabbit holes. And I was having, I've been having anxiety attacks. They're not as bad as what they used to be. I hadn't had one in like six to nine months and then had one a few weeks ago. Just woke up with just feeling on my chest and nobody could get close to me. And I just think guys don't want to talk about it because they don't want to, they don't want to see, you know, the chinks in the armor. But a lot of us have it, especially if you come from ECW, I spent enough time there you have some kind of issues. And a lot of the guys were lucky that if they didn't get it or they quit wrestling afterwards, but dumbasses like me that just kept wrestling because we loved it so much. And, you know, I keep saying the next injury, I'm going to quit. Next injury, I'm going to quit. The very last match that my match with George South, I bled so much that I passed out. I took a shower and was walking back through the gym and passed out. Collapsed on somebody. Wow. Just, I just, you know, it's what we do to entertain the fans and, I look at it like this. I'll pay for the consequences later. Well, uh, we have, gosh, we've taken so much of your time up, but we have absolutely enjoyed it. It has been an education and it has been an honor to hear your story about who you are as a person. And I think that that's the more indelible impression that our audience wants to hear about the type of individual you are. The, the wrestling stuff is great, but I think your message has been top notch and for you to open up and, and share something private with us um i cannot say thank you enough well you're welcome and, and I, I do this not 
I don't want people to feel sorry for me. I don't want people to or anything. It's just the fact that we're human. Shit happens. But if my my life, my stories of things I've done can change one person's life of how I transform, it, it'll be all worth it. Because one person reached out and saved me. I really think now is my turn to reach out and save somebody else. So whatever it takes. But thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, where can I people, appreciate it. Where can people find you? Uh, social media outlets, all that kind of stuff. Where can people buy your merchandise? Uh, the floor is yours. Everything is at ECW Anderson, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Everything's at ECW Anderson. And I have, you know, if you go on Instagram, you'll see shirt designs that my fiance and I have designed and, and put out there. If you message me, we have a guy that on standby that will, you buy a t-shirt from us of a design you like, we send it to him and he sends it right to you. So, and if you message me, I'll always get back to you. Might take me a couple hours, but I always get back to you. Not a problem. And I'll definitely be putting those links up on the Twitter account and making sure letting our audience know, reach out and get some uh, CW Anderson merchandise. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. Every one of you guys. All right. Any chance we could, we could uh, twist your arm and have you come back again. Anytime. Anytime. And and if my fiance six next time, she's going to get over here with me. (laughs) That'll work, man. You have yourself a great night. We'll talk to you down the road. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Take care, CW. Bye. Wow. Damn. Wow. That was uh, that was probably, and, and I mean this with all sincerity and no disrespect to anybody we've we've talked to before, the realest conversation about life, about wrestling that I have ever gotten a chance to be a part of. Man, if you think about it, what didn't we cover on him? Everything. I mean, growing up, Major League Baseball, being a catcher, we talked extensively about baseball for baseball fans. We talked about who in the league and Hall of Famers, and then we talked about ECW, WCW, the power plant, uh, retirement, coming out of retirement, his body, CTE. It was just – it was so neat to have somebody like that be so willing to share – and especially when he first started out the interview telling us what was uh, what almost happened um, after he had his last match, which, man, it, it, this, this, the whole wrestling thing, it's so cool, but I have always wanted to know the person behind the tights and the kick pads, and, and we got to see that tonight. And it was just, uh, it was worth it. And and we said before, you know, he wasn't able to make it on Tuesday night. Um, his fiance was sick. We're glad that she's doing better. And he messaged me and said, hey, I promise you, uh, Thursday, Friday, whatever it may be, I'll give you all the time you want. Let's go ahead and make it happen. And he did. And he went above and beyond my expectations. So, Man, I, and, and I loved how, how real it was. Yeah. Like the interview overall, and then the closing, you know, how many people are willing to open up like that? Not many. Know? And and th- that hit home because you know Freeland, you you know about my you know issues with my head and stuff. And wow, yeah, like like listening to Mikey talk and and you know CW talk. It's like, man, I, I just 
it's a little scary, you know what I mean? But I, I, th- I think that it's good to open up and talk to people about that stuff. It, no, you're 100% you're right. I mean, think about it. I mean, all the things that we struggle with, and, and we all struggle with stuff, um, but when it comes to health-related things, it may not, from a medical standpoint, do anything, but just to have someone to share with and someone who just sits there and just listens to you, that in itself is worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I don't know about you, Freeland, but I think, Hour and a half in, I think I think the guys need need a little commercial break. Go get a beverage. I think somebody does need to go ahead and get them. You know what? I feel bad because here I am drinking all this stuff, and I literally had a friend of mine run into me, and they said, "You're still drinking that Red Bull." And I said, "Well, I gave up Monster. You told me Monster was terrible for my body." And they said, "Well, this is just as bad." So anyway, everyone, go ahead, get a drink. Uh, we'll take a short break. We'll come back and we'll discuss a few more things. Don't go anywhere. More Front Room Material Thursday Live Edition when we return. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. shirt too sexy for my shirt so sexy it hurts and I'm too sexy for Milan too sexy for Milan New York and Japan take it sexy for your party too sexy for your party no way I am disco dancing I'm a model, you know what I mean, and I do my little turn on the cowwalk, yeah on the cowwalk, on the cowwalk, yeah, I do my little turn on the cowwalk. Pussy. 
Was that any good? Oh my god. Welcome back to Front Row Material Thursday. My name is Mike Freeland. I'm joined, as always, by the RIT. It is 1041 Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for hanging with us here this evening. I uh, just got done having a great interview with C.W. Anderson. Um, it went over an hour and a half long, and I am telling you right now, if you missed any part of it, as soon as we go off the air tonight, that will be available on demand. So go ahead and make sure you go to Twitch and you go ahead and you can play that as well. Please, by all means, and I am begging, go ahead and click that follow button here on Twitch. Um, the more followers we get, the, the better it is. We have the Red Hot Summer Night Series. Uh, here's our, our little book. A little book right here. Ritz got his book. We have so many exciting things that we're going to be bringing to you. And uh, just recently, we announced that uh, we're going to be giving something a little extra to the Front Row Material audience. And we have Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid, the two-time WWE Hall of Famer. He is going to be coming on this program doing a career retrospective. We're going to be talking all things wrestling with him. And, uh, you know, maybe we should release a little a little secret, a little nugget maybe on who else is going to be coming on because we have so many names here and we are so excited. And we just want to make sure that we're giving you guys, the Front Row Material audience, great programming each and every week. We thank you so much for going ahead and tuning in with us because you could literally be doing anything on a Tuesday night. And the fact that you... Each and every week, come in and you allow us to come into your evening and uh, and entertain you and, and introduce you to some of these people from the world of wrestling and get to know them on a personal level. It, uh, it means a lot to us. So if you know somebody who loves wrestling, please tell them, hey, that, there's a show called Front Row Material and, and they're live every week. Just hit that follow button. It will mean a lot to us. So, Rit, I see you got your uh, your little black book out here, and you're a married man, so this is a different little black book. I don't want to be getting you in trouble at all. Well, well, well Freeland. Yes. You, you say you want to give out a little snidbit. I want to give. I want to give a little so, something out tonight. Ha, how about July thirteenth? Uh, should uh, we? Uh, should oh, we give oh, July? Oh. Should, uh, could we maybe? How about July twentieth? Oh, July twentieth. No, or, or or we could go August twenty fourth. Oh, no, not August. Oh my 24th. god, they're Here's not the ready. Deal. They're not ready for August twenty fourth. They're not ready for August twenty fourth. August twenty fourth. I'm telling you right now, you better be you you better be ready. You know when your mom and dad says it's cold outside, you better put on that jacket and gloves. And you're thinking, no, I'm fine. I'm I'm ready. It's going to be a blizzard out there, you guys. It's going to be a blizzard. You better bring your galoshes, your jacket, your your scarves, all that kind of stuff because it's going to get crazy. And that's one word I will tell you. But you can look in Webster's Dictionary, crazy, and there's a lot of other words that go along with crazy. Yeah, I don't even know where I was going with all that, but anyway. Uh, so what do, we, what do we want to do here? The 20th. Let's, get, let's, let's hit July 20th. July 20th, big major announcement, breaking news. Uh, I'm going to give the screen to the RIT because I'm going to let the RIT go ahead and make this big major announcement 
in three, two, one. Rit, the floor is yours. Who is going to be joining us on the 20th of July? July 20th, we will bring to you the man that has a special handshake with the Jerry Lynn, AEW Dark Superstar, Danny Limelight. Danny Limelight is going to be joining us here on Front Row Material. Danny Limelight. Are you excited about that? Man, j just a little. This man is pumped, hyped, ready to go. Yes. I reached out to him. Man, he was ringing my phone. He was sending me emails. He's like, I, how do I get a part of Front Row Material? Well, he's a tremendous wrestler. He's a good friend of the wrestling family. Uh, very good friends with uh, one Mr. Jerry Lynn. Uh, but, I mean, we could go down the list here. That's going to be huge. But we could say July 6th. We could say the 13th of July. We could say July 27th. Folks, at the end of the day, Rick, tell them, you can't miss a week of front row material because you miss a week, you miss a lot. Exactly. But say you got something that comes up. You can always check us out on twitch.tv forward slash FRMPod. Or head on over to our YouTube channel that we just threw up. We have a YouTube channel now? Oh, yeah. We have a YouTube channel. Oh, but man. Not, we're really coming along. It's not just an FRMPod. This is the brand, Front Row Material. Cult of Beardo is on that YouTube channel along with FRMPod. So go to YouTube.com. Go to the, the little search button, put front row material. You'll see the logo. All you got to do is follow. That's it. That's all you got to do. Follow. Smash that button. That's all you Smash do. that button. Smash. You know, I smash the button a lot when it comes to the uh, the zit stuff and the and the uh, the cyst stuff. I get into that, man. So here's the deal, Rip. Um, a couple things I want to talk about here. Will you watch a Saw movie with me? Saw. No. There is no chance whatsoever you will talk, watch a the, Saw movie. The only Saw movie that I watched more than once yes. was the first one. Okay. And that is because, spoiler alert coming up. Yeah, that movie came out like 20 years ago, so. There might be people that don't know. Okay, that's fine. But I, I went... And every time they were in the, what do you want to call it, the, the shower, the locker room, whatever they were in, the second time around, I stared at that freaking dead body. Yeah. During the whole time, I'm like, this fucker's going to move. <laughs> this fucker's going to move. And he never did. No. But yeah. that. Well, hold, hold it. Shut up. Shut up. What are you, hold on. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I, I stared at the dead body. Well, because it tell us what really happened? Because at the end of the movie, the guy that was laying in there supposedly dead right. was the killer the whole time. He was Saul. Correct. And he got up and, you know, yeah. But I'm like, wait a minute here. That body had to move sometime. Let me ask you this question. If you were chained in there, right? Let's say you were in that room. Would you take the back of the toilet tank and bash your ankle to break it just to, to get out of that that uh, shackle, what would you do? First things first, Freeland, I don't have a foot fetish like you do. I hate feet. They're disgusting. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm taking a hacksaw and cutting my foot off. I don't need it. They're disgusting. 
You can call, you, you can call me Stubby the rest of my life. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're going to lose a ton of blood if you do that. Wait a minute. The man who can't stand blood is going to take a hacksaw and cut his own foot off? Bullshit. You will pass out and vomit at the fact that you're doing it to yourself. Oh, my God. You're a mess. Hey. hey. Yeah. This, this is a work. Don't break kayfabe. I like all that good, that gross stuff. I love gross stuff. It's so much fun. Um, I, I actually I actually have this. I, I'm not going to show it to you on, on camera, but some of you can hear this. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You like that? <laughs> it's this great stuff called Flarp. Oh, my God. I got it at the same store that I got that fart spray from Megan. Oh my god! Yeah. I'm going. I'm going in the store and I'm pulling this can out real quick and I'm like, <coughs> love it. Get, can you give the fans a little recap of what happened that night that you had to yeah. wake up? They had to wake up and tell Megan about farting a can. What, what do you what What do you mean? What do you, What are you talking about? Tell her her reaction. So her reaction. Okay. So here's what I did. So it was last summer. And it was hotter than blue blazes, and it was in July, okay? And yes, uh, I do like the human centipede big time. Got no problem saying that whatsoever. I loved it. It was hot, and we went to this store called Five Below, and I guess it's just one of those little, you know, trinkety shops that you can get a bunch of just goofy gimmick stuff. And so I got the fart spray, and I intentionally did not put the air conditioning on in the car. And I we stopped at a traffic light, and I stretched – and I reached behind her seat and I went just a couple of squirts. And I'm telling you right now, that is the greatest weight loss plan in the history of the world because you will vomit your organs out. It's, it, it, it is the foulest smell. Take the foulest smell you could ever smell. Like if you took a dead raccoon and you put it in a microwave and then you just breathed it in, worse than that. No. Worse than that. Now, fast forward to November when uh, you're in the midst of, hey, I'll do anything for 10 bucks. I will do anything for money. I can be bought. Fame has a price, and so does Mike Freeland. So the guys told me, they said, hey, how about you now reveal what you did to your wife? And I said, well, she's already went to bed. She's in bed right now. And they said, who cares? Go on in there. So I went ahead and I took my computer and I took the microphone and I went in there and I pulled the covers off of her and I admitted to her live on Twitch or whatever the hell it was that uh, the fart spray was was a work. Yeah. And, and then you proceeded to say, show a little nip. I asked her to show a little nip. I don't feel like that's out of the, out of the question here. Show a little... Show a little, you know what I mean? Give back to the listeners, the 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 watchers, oh, whatever but, we want to call these people. But she definitely didn't, you know, give back to the listeners when she blew Santa live on the air. She did. And, you know, I give her a ton of credit. <laughs> Not a lot of people can blow Santa. But you know what? She did a good job on that one. Are you okay, Rit? You, you look like, man, you look like you've been road hard and put up wet. Are you, are you, are you a little sleepy? Oh no! I could go all night long with you, Freeland. Hey, you're not Moondog Murray in me right now, are you? No. Okay. It's this Red Bull. 
I swear, I'm telling you, got to start drinking it, man. No, I got Zoa. You gotta drink the Red Bull. Why won't Why won't you? I got Zoa. I'm because a really good friend and, and myself are are supposed to be doing this weight loss thing together. We are doing this weight loss thing together, but I can't give this up. Why not? I, I switched from Monster straight to Zoa. It is a natural energy drink. That's no. I don't even think they have it in my part of the country. Do you have a GNC? Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's Google GNC. Why did you, you never heard of them before? No, you've probably never been in one. Wow. That's kind of a dick comment. I've never been in one before. Well, no, because it's not a Valero and it, you know everything's cost more than five bucks. It does it cost more than five bucks to get this drink? Well, no, but most stuff in GNC costs more than five bucks. Well, how much does one can of this stuff cost? Like three. Oh, that's not bad. About as, mu- about as much as your Red Bull. Uh, Boog says that shit's awful for you. So, uh, Rit, you may better reconsider that stuff. He's talking about Red Bull. No, he's not. He's talking about the crap you're talking about. No, exactly. He's no, he's not. No, don't believe that's true. Yeah. All right, let's get to the big pay-per-view. Let's get to the pay-per-view. Pay-per-view up. Okay, let's get to We're the We're going to be talking about a big pay-per-view that uh, the Rit and I have been talking about for quite a while. It's not battery acid. Shut up. Um, a big event that's going to be coming up for AAW. It is United We Stand July the 9th. It's going to be at 115 Bourbon Street in Marionette Park, Illinois. Um, Danny Daniels runs an incredible promotion here. The band has been lifted. AAW is officially back holding wrestling shows. It is the be-all, end-all when it comes to wrestling establishments, not only here in the Midwest, but in the United States. Tickets have already gone on sale for this amazing event. Go on down. There's a link right down at the bottom. AAWPro.TicketLeap.com. Once again, that's AAWPro.TicketLeap.com. You can get your tickets right now. Big card, big lineup. Let's go ahead and let's show them who's going to be on that card. Exactly. <laughs> I had know- so much energy with that one, and then you're like, "That's that's because okay, you, you know man. you know it takes me a minute, and you sit there and love to put me on the spot. I like to put you on the spot. I do. Do you realize when I'm doing this and I'm talking about it, I hear the the WrestleMania song. Yes. Yes. You realize that's what's going through my head? Oh, my gosh. In the AAW Heritage Championship match, it's Myron Reed versus Hakeem Zane. Now, we've seen Hakeem Zane. He's also in Impact Wrestling, and I do believe he's going to be in a number one contenders match for the X Division Championship. That's going to be coming up at Slammiversary uh, as well, so that's going to be a big one. But Myron Reed is an incredible incredible wrestler right now if you've not got a chance to see him before go ahead uh, aaw's youtube page there's all the matches that you can check out right there as well hakeem zane has been on this show before great wrestler great promo guy i love the athleticism of these two guys what's your take on this big match right now between these guys hakeem zane all the way he's walking away with that uh heritage title around his waist Man, there is something about Hakeem Zayn, the energy, the the skills. Are you just are you just a Hakeem Zayn mark right now? Man, 
Yep. Yeah. Look at okay. that. Here we okay. go. Here we okay. go. And Freeland, you know that you know inside information. I've got that, insider information. That me and Hakizian are so close. You're tight. We're so tight. Very tight. One of these days, very soon, I'm going to be strutting around my place wearing a possible Hakeem Zane robe wore by him. I'm so glad you clarified that because that could have gotten a little weird real fast. I'll be strutting around my living room. I'm glad you said you need to put context to what you mean by this robe, please. Mr. Hakeem Zane has put out that does anybody want to buy this robe? Well, me, I like to collect stuff from people I've interviewed, and, well, I've got to do what I've got to do. So you're going to buy You're gonna buy the robe? I'm buying the robe. And Freeland, I'll send yeah. you pictures of me just in the robe. Now, why do you got to do that to me? Why? I get that I get the title of being a little on the weird side, and I fully embrace that. But you're supposed to be the guy who's not. You're going all Moondog Murray on me whoa, right whoa, now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you what? I can't send pictures of me in the robe. I'm not wearing just the robe. Oh well, thank God. You made me think that you were just gonna be just robing it up. No, no. You're no. not you're not flaring it up, just going woo, woo, woo. No, woo. no, this is not the uh the plane ride from hell. You're not you're not telling Kelly like, hey, baby arm, woo! You're not doing any of that stuff. No, no, I, okay. I don't do I don't do I don't do like what you do and try to send your poor wife a picture and send it to me instead. Once again, that kind of stuff can be uh, left off the air. Thank you for doing that. Um, but getting back to this match right here, yeah. Myron Reed, the Heritage Championship. Once again, United we stand July 9th. 2021 where can the guys and the gals watch this big pay-per-view event fight.tv forward slash watch forward slash aaw dash pro try yeah. to say that 10 times fast wow fight.tv forward slash watch forward slash aaw dash pro i like it i think it's going to be really really good i'm excited about this match let's but go to the next one this is not the only match that's going to be on the card <laughs> Son of a bitch, Freeland. Oh, I can't take it. I just can't. Oh, love the book bag. Um, this is going to be a really exciting match. JAW Women's Championship. It's going to be Chris Statlander versus Allison K. Uh, I've seen a lot of Allison K's matches before. Um, she's really talented, and and I feel like maybe the audience. Might not be super familiar with Allison K. Go to YouTube, put in her name. She's wrestled for several different promotions. She's very athletic, um, very agile as well. I think she's going to be a great match for Chris Statlander. But but let me let me ask you something right now. I mean, there's a lot of great women wrestlers out there, but you got to admit, Chris Statlander is just she's on another level. Oh, she's kind of out of this world. No. No, I get it. No, good. Touche. I was about She's to say, you're, are you no-sell me, Freeland? No, I'm selling the shit out of that. I love me some Chris Statlander. You the, know that. Like, she was good before she got injured. Yes. But now she's hungry. Yes, you she know, is. She's, she's 
more agile. She's more athletic. She's toned down a little bit. She's great now. And I do not think that Allison K has what it takes to take that title off of her. Oh, I don't know, though. Hey, on an any given pay-per-view, my friend, anything can happen. Allison K is, is a formidable opponent. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. Just and watch out. Maybe Freeland, you and I couldn't do a complete watch along to this whole pay-per-view. I, I, I mean, that might be something that happens. But yeah. right now, where can people see this pay-per-view at? What is the place? Bam! Fight.tv forward slash watch forward slash A-A-W-Pro. Man, we're really good. We're like the Siskel and Ebert of... I'm Twitch right now. You really, how hot are you right now in that cap hat? You've got, you've got to be sweating your ass off right uh, now. This is how I'm losing the extra weight. My, oh, by the way, by the way, really, really quickly, uh, it, you can take that graphic off the screen. I want to share something with you really quick. Um, I got a DM from somebody, and let's see here. I'm going to share with you somebody who sent this to me. Hold on. Down in the DMs. I'm all about the DMs. I'm all about the DMs. Okay. Kevin. Kevin. We all remember who farted 12. Where has he been? Kevin? I don't know where Kevin's been. He's probably been in the hotel with with uh, Jim Jim McMahon Jim from McMahon. Chicago Bears. They're hanging out in the hotel somewhere. But who farted Kevin uh, has made me a glorious offer. Um, and I am considering this big time right now. To, to, he's basically telling me I can have something, something that I've really wanted. And he can actually make that happen. Unlike you, who has every friggin' figure behind you, and if you once made an offer and just said, you know what, Freeland, you're a good guy, we're friends, let me go ahead and let me just give you a figure. Have you said that once? But who farted 12 already coming through in the clutch for me? Yeah, no sell that shit. Yeah, just keep typing on your phone. Anton, everybody else, say, hey, I got the inside connection. I got, and then Rit tells me, I got a guy. He's like the... Sleepy Jim's Toy Shack or whatever that thing is. Freeland, it's okay. Just wait for Kevin to get back to you. You better not have cock-blocked me on that. If you have, I swear to God. You're well, a well, what, happened, what happened to... Uh, what happened to what? Hey, no, Kevin. what happened to that shady place you were trying to send me to? Like, Jimmy's... Toy Shack or whatever like that, you were sending me the link to it. They're like, oh, they've got all these different ones. What was that place you were sending me to? Uh, collectible Toys. Oh. And and Kevin, I, hey, Kevin, don't sell Freeland that figure. I'm going to pay you double. Yep, dick move. Yep. Your new nickname is Josh the Rit. Schwantz Ritter. That's what it is. Oh, man. By the way, uh, your good friend and mine, the ass man, uh, the ass man who is affectionately known to everybody as Christopher Butt, he's from Canada. Uh, he's got Noof2291. Um, 
he was telling me that uh, he's going to be making some more of these coasters available. So if you are interested in getting front row material, overbooked, Cult of Beardo, anything to that nature, uh, definitely hit him up in the DMs as well. And uh, Yeah, uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting them on Twitter. You get a hold of uh, – we're going to get pictures all up. You get a hold of us. Man, well, we're going to get uh, forward it to our man, the butt. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep taking this down. We're going we're gonna to get it to him, and he's going to make them for us and send them directly to you. Directly to you. So at the end of the day, you are going to be able to have some of these great coasters. Pull your coasters down. Show, show, show the nice, fine people at home right now. Oh. And by the way, we have to address this situation of the Boogster – Hanging out in scorching hot Arizona has a question for you, but let's go ahead and address the coaster thing first. Bam. So let's take a look at some of these coasters here. Oh, we're going to get to the, the the butthole dolls. Hold on a second. Let's just Call get Beardo. closer to the camera. Get closer to the camera. Well, the glare will kill it. Closer. Closer. And if you can tell me what movie that quote is from. Uh, Call to Beardo one. Excellent right there. Go ahead and take it down. Did you just shake it? What What are you, home shopping? Pull it back a little bit. Jeezel Pete's tilt it. Tilt it. Over effing booked. Very cool. There you go. With Hosted by yours truly, Mike Freeland. And, and, brought brought and, back not by popular demand. Brought back by Josh Ritter saying that my voice is some type of ASMR thing he likes. Hey, hey. Overbooked. July coming back. July first. And the book. And the book. Sabu. I thought you were literally pointing to your bookshelf. Like, what was? It's this. What what, you did this? (laughs) I got my hands full. (sighs) But if you want to get ahead of us, go to ecwsabu.com and order his autobiography. Yes, by all means. Tell him. Get a hold of him. Tell him. FRM pod. Send him over there. Absolutely. Get your book now so you can follow along with us. Freeland and the Rit. Freeland or Rit. Freeland or Rit. Freeland the Rit. Why does it it sound like you said feeling the Rit? Well, you're going to be feeling yourself when you have put that new Hakeem Zayn robe on. You better watch out, my friend. Are you going to are you going to pass out Halloween candy this year dressed as Hakeem Zayn? No. You should. What else? Show another coaster. Show another coaster. What's another one you got? Whoa. Be humbled. Yes. Brian Blair. I can't even do it right. That's amazing. I love it. What else you got? Last but not least. Last not, but not least. Because I'm not busting out Mikey's secret stash. Very good. FRM pod. Now, we are going to get the butt to make the original, the OG front row material one. Uh, that was the that was V2. But um, awesome. Get a hold of the butt. He's got noof. Uh, you can hit him up on Twitter as well. But let's go ahead and let's address this other question here as you're putting your stuff away. Um uh, listener by the name of Boog one two three four five six seven eight. Uh, he's coming in from Arizona. Uh, he writes in, uh, "Dear Rit, aka Ted Kaczynski, 
Uh, I want a Cult of Beardo shirt. So how does that work? How are you going to be able to provide a shirt for our dear friend, Boob, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, in Arizona? What sizes do you have in, in, uh, in T-shirts? I got a 5X. <laughs> you got car tarp. <laughs> no, but you son of a gun, you put me on the spot when I got to talk to you on FRM After Dark. Time out, time out. Hold on. Just just wait a minute. 5X? That's, I don't want to put the man on blast of whose shirt that is. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know when you buy shirts, <laughs> you buy you buy so many mediums, large, 2X. You may hold one 3X. You got to fight. And I am not saying anything disparaging. I am a larger man myself. But in the whole inventory of Cult of Beardo shirts, you have one left. It's 5X. They're, they're, throwing, they're, they're, they're selling off the shirt, uh, shelf like hotcakes. <laughs> They're probably falling off people's bodies <laughs> like hotcakes. Please, you better tell me that shrinks with wear. No. No? At least mine doesn't. Wow. You have a Cult of Beardo shirt? Why, yes, oh. I do. It, it, if you were on Cult of Beardo from 8 to 9 today, you right. see me in it before I went and vividly and rapidly changed into my FRM pod. Right. By the way, you can take that hat off now. You you, you literally you, you you look uncomfortable right now. Would you feel better if you just had your headphones? No, I'm good. Are you sure? You look great, but you've got to be hot as hell. I'm fine, sir. I'm fine. I appreciate the the concern. Uh, for a minute, I got flashbacks of Jerry Lynn being concerned for people. Yes. Um, what else do we want to talk about tonight? Well, let's see. Check that off. Let me check that off. How about this? Bam. Tell everybody you know. Everybody. Go over to twitch.tv forward slash FRM pod. Smash, Smash that, that follow button. Smash Support that. Support FRM pod. Support we us. We are 12 people away from 200. That's not many. All you have to do, there is no financial, there's no financial no. responsibility. Just tank all you got to do. That's it. That's all you got to do. Hit that follow button. Help us get to 200. Next up, our good friend, Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey Whipwreck. He just set up his new computer. Yes, he did. It is going amazing. And he's back to killing people on PUBG. It's going to be twitch.tv forward slash Mikey Whipwreck underscore. So smash t- that button. Smash that ass, man. That's what it's all about. And if you re- get really desperate and you want something to do on a Thursday night, head on over to twitch.tv <laughs> forward slash Cult of Beardo. Why do you have to promote it that way? Because it, it, hey, hey, if a Thursday night's coming around, kids, and you, you got nothing to do, <laughs> come on. Cult of Beardo is a good show. It's a really good oh, show. Oh, it, it is. And we're slowly working our way up. Please go over, tell everybody, smash that follow button. Smash that ass. Sm- smash that Cult of Beardo ass. That's all you got to do. Now, here comes the big one. It's the new one. Bam. Forget Not all even that. Good. 
Forget all the other stuff. Just go to the search button on YouTube. All you got to do is go to HTTPS <laughs> colon forward slash forward slash www.youtube.com forward slash channel forward slash uppercase U uppercase C little Q uppercase N a dash a two a little little S a three a little L a little X a big C a big Q a little Q a big U a little A a big K small W the number five a small V a large Q a little G a little T a little L and a little W that's all you gotta do yeah or just go to YouTube go to search and click front row material Follow us out. We will put every episode, every, every interview, every on the every YouTube channel, every Twitch, Twitch. You it. Only get it for two weeks. Uh, Wait. Uh, see, Wait. I'm, uh, uh, I'm twitching. You only get it there for two weeks. YouTube, you're there, you're there for life. I can't. I can't. Oh, God. I love you to death. Oh, oh, so great interview. Now we're bringing the ratings down. Now <laughs> it's just you and I. Everybody was like, whoa, an interview. I have no idea how we have negative three viewers. Yeah, I got no idea either. But I do want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. Yes, everybody. I want to do some shout outs. Mitchie Blaze. Tammy's out of jail. Congratulations. Not really sure who Tammy is, but Tammy's out of jail. Boog, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Love you. Got Noof, two, two, nine, one. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, we also got some other people who came in here. Let's see who else uh, Who else came in and joined us this evening. Uh, little Psychopath. What up, Little Psychopath? Travis Bohab. Travis Bo. Is it Bohab? Hab? Bohab. Slippy Samsonite. Uh, Mitchie Blaze up in the house. Thank you so much, Mitchie Blaze. Uh, oh, from uh, the old Twitter account, ECW underscore Whipper. ECW Whipper. Love it, ECW Whipper. Thank you so much for coming in here. Uh, mean, who else? mean Lean was in here. Oh, mean, lean, lean savage, mean, lean, whoa, mean, lean savage. Yeah. He had to go back to the to the work. He had to go back to work because he was busy up in Canada. Oh my God! Uh, do they work yeah. up there? I have no idea. Do, do we even know what he does as a job? Something at a grocery store. I, I'm I'm guessing cleaning toilets. <laughs> so hold on a second. You know he works at a grocery store, and the, and the first job that comes to mind when working a grocery store is cleaning the john. Oh god! Hey, 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 hey! It doesn't matter. Just like in the wrestling business, yes, you're the guy that takes the ticket, the person that sets the ring up, or if you're the main event, you're just as important as everybody else. No, I agree. I'm not making fun of people who clean toilets. I'm just saying that's the first job that resonated with you when you thought Liam Savage, Liam, he's a toilet man. Because he's the shit. Yeah, this is true. Also, we want to plug uh, Mike World Order, MWO. Go ahead and follow him on his show as well. That's on Twitch. He is just too sweet. Uh, you can get all your Mike World Order, Mer World Order merchandise. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter as well. That's Mike with five eyes. Um, and I know he's got thongs 
And what else has he got? He, like bras and t-shirts. and t-shirts and oh oh, he also got the Mike Buddies. He's got Mike Buddies. If not, you're not familiar, not to get confused with our new product, we're going to be launching early to 2022. 2022. So you're going to have the Rip Buddy doll. No, right? no, uh, uh, yeah, Rip Buddy doll. You're going to have the Freeland Buddy doll. Freeland Buddy doll. You're going to have the Savage Buddy doll. Yep, yep. You're going to have, um, let me think here. Anton? The Anton Buddy doll. But then we're also going to have a Renegade Buddy doll. Oh, oh, and, oh, and we saved the best for last. Yep. And you know what it's going to be? The Butt the Buddy. Butt buddy doll. That's right, kids. The Butt Buddy doll. Yep. If you want to have fun, then you're going to have to get yourself a Butt Buddy. These things are tremendous. You can uh, cuddle them, snuggle with them, do whatever you want. They are uh, washer uh, approved, or what do they call that? Washer, washer safe? Friendly. Washer, washer safe, friendly? Washer friendly? Washer safe. You can put these things in the washing machine, especially if it's a butt buddy. You're definitely going to make sure you have that uh, sanitized for uh, you know hygienic reasons as well. So those are going to be coming out as well. J- AAW is going to be launching buddy dolls, or what do they call them? Brawlers or buddy brawlers yeah. or whatever. So anyway. Hey, hey, I have to tell you. Who farted? He's loyal to you. <laughs> Who farted, Kevin? Love it. By the way, Travis Bohab, all he has to say is pancake batter, my friend. Oh, yeah. Make it flow. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about? I mean, we, we did release a big piece of information. If you guys were listening to us earlier, we shared with you one new booking. So we talked about Sean Waltman. Coming on the show, we already know. Uh, we mentioned that on Tuesday night. And tonight, uh, mark your calendars, July 20th, Danny Limelight from AEW is going to be joining us as well. And uh, I'm already gotten several other people who are interested in coming on the show. In fact, when we were doing the interview with CW, someone else just uh, sent me a DM and said, hey, can I come on? And I said, you know what? Let's make it happen. So Little Psychopath. Good to see you as well. Thank you for all that you do for our show. Um, Rick, do you want to go ahead and close it? Do you want to go ahead and... Yeah. How about... Uh, Put a bow? We, how, how about we try to... Now, I swear, if he sits there and ends his stream... Who? Like he did Tuesday. Who ended the stream? No. Bam. We're going to do a raid. Weapon X Matt. Who the hell is Weapon X Matt? On Tuesday, I said, oh, I said, right. we're going to raid him. Yeah. And then he came over to ours at the yeah. same time. We were at, yeah. I swear if he does it now, it's over. Is he, is he on right now? He's on right now. I am looking and watching him right now. Do you know, do you remember when we were going to raid somebody and we, we, we talked so long after we said we were going to raid them that they ended their broadcast so we couldn't raid them? And we that was him. Oh, that was, that was him? Yeah. He ended his broadcast and came in ours. All right. Well, if Weapon if Weapon X Matt is still doing his thing, guys, go over there and just shoot those little sticker things. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, pew, pew. and uh, talk about FRM and let's do that again. You ready? Pew 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 pew. pew, pew, right. pew. Yeah, do that in your robe. That's cool. Mitchie Blaze, love Mitchie Blaze. Do exactly what Mitchie Blaze did. Make those things. Look at those things. Yes. Do now, that. I don't know how you do it on your keyboard, but go ahead and. Now, now remember, 
what you got to do is tomorrow, FRM Tuesday drops. Saturday, C.W. Anderson interview drops. Download them both. Download them. Next Tuesday, yep. FRM Pod, Raj Geary. Raj Geary Wrestling Inc. Love we'll be, Raj Geary. We'll be here. We're going to be talking to him. This man's got the scoop before two scoops was even a thing. Yeah, that sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> then next Thursday. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. Oh, We're not going to glaze over this. He's got the scoop before two scoops was a thing. Yeah, Kellogg's Raisin Bran, two scoops. Okay. No, I'm just. We're, we're rolling with the punches for you. We're just going to go with it. We're going to go with it. Yes, then please next continue what you were Thursday. saying. Next Thursday. Cult of Beardo, FRM Pods. We're going split ski. FRM pod. We're reversing it this week. FRM pods will be at 8 o'clock. Our guest, Sean Waltman. Sean Waltman. Break and it down. Stick around. 9 o'clock. Call to Beardo. Head on over. Follow uh, me, the butt, Renegade. You never know when Big Daddy Beardo might show up. Heck, maybe even Freeland might sneak over. Maybe. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. But By guys, the way, well, hold on. Boog123456789 has a question. Uh, his question is, he wants to know, how can I get a Cult of Beardo shirt? So what are we looking like in supplies for Cult of Beardo shirts? Yes, and we are out of time. So <laughs> see you next Tuesday. Guys, thank you for stopping by. Take care. He is the host with the most, Mike Freeland. I am that goofy sidekick, The Rit. And see you guys next week on FRM Pod.